Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey guys, welcome to Capturing Christianity. Today on the show, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, We're covering a topic we've only covered, I think, once in the past. And I've got one of the guests today, Dr. Tyler McNabb. He's joining me to talk about the, uh, the subject again, but it's about aliens and UFOs. There was some recent stuff that came out, I think it was on Sunday. And so today is Tuesday, so just two days ago. There's this whistleblower, his name is David Grush, Grush? I think it's Grush. And he's a retired Air Force guy. He he's uh, he's got some interesting things to say. He's made some really interesting claims on this interview on News Nation. And the uh, the the interview was was just fascinating. It was super interesting to to listen to. I had already been interested in covering the subject a little bit more. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, he's the other guest that I've got with me today. And uh, I was already talking with Jimmy. I was like, what, you know, I'd like to, to talk about this subject a little bit more. It is something that's interesting to, to think about. There's, a, there's all sorts of uh, crossovers, I think, between uh, like, for, for example, testimony. How do we actually weigh testimony in the case of something, someone who, who uh, claims to have seen aliens or seen UFOs or, or whatnot? You know, how do we actually test those? How do we weigh those? Um, and there's also relevance between that and something like the testimony that we have in the Gospels. And so uh, if we've got testimony in these two cases, if, we are, if we're trusting the, the Gospel testimonies, then should we also equally trust the testimony from people who have experienced or witnessed uh, aliens or UFOs or anything like that? So there's a lot of crossover between the, the two things. And then there's also the question of what are these, you know, on a Christian worldview, how do uh, the existence of aliens and UFOs, how do they actually impact truths of Christianity, if at all? And so there's all sorts of interesting questions. There's overlap between uh, ufology. Is that the way you say it, Jimmy? And, uh, and yeah. Christianity. There's all sorts of different interesting overlaps. But the the main thing that we're going to do today is look at the most recent stuff that's come out on aliens and UFOs, or or now they're they're called uh, UAPs, I think. So uh, let let me go ahead and introduce my my guests just briefly. And then we'll get into, we have 24 clips lined up actually from that interview that I mentioned earlier on News Nation. So we, we may not get to all 24 clips. Uh, they're all very interesting. So we may actually do that during the, the stream today. But just to quickly introduce my guests, Jimmy is a Catholic apologist and he's uh, part of Catholic Answers. And he's been on the show before talking about all, all sorts of different sh- subjects. Uh, one of my favorite subjects was when he came on. Uh, for Thanksgiving, that was that was uh, a a beautiful episode. I, I remember that. It was it was great to have you on for that. And then Tyler, he and I have done all sorts of things together. He's actually a, a philosopher, Christian philosopher. He's done a lot of work on epistemology, reformed epistemology, really interesting uh, subjects, and all sorts of things that we've we've talked about on the show before. He's even had discussions with a, a street epistemologist. I listened, I re-listened to that uh, uh, a few months ago, and it was it was fun to to go back and and listen to that one. But these two guys. So Tyler's got. Uh, he's published an article. Was it was that one with Eric Baldwin? No, it was with Chad McIntosh. Chad McIntosh. Okay, and you guys were yeah. were talking about the the overlap. What what are the sort of impact of of aliens might have on the right. theology and, and Christianity and stuff? And so, um, 
Yeah, so I thought it would be good actually to have Jimmy on. I want to actually, before Tyler, we we kind of bring you on and, and let yeah, you yeah. introduce yourself. I wanted to give Jimmy a chance because a, a lot of people in the apologetic sphere and the philosophy sphere may not know that Jimmy is interested in, in the subject and talks about the subject and has been researching the subject for a number of years. So Jimmy, would you take uh, just a, a little bit of uh, just a couple minutes and uh, mm-hmm. talk about your your background of uh, ufology and, and your interest in the subject and, and how it all relates to uh, what we're looking at today. Sure. So, um, you know, people know me as a Catholic apologist. I'm also a philosopher. That's what my academic training is in. Um, but I grew up in the 1970s and, uh, you know, that was an era when there were lots of UFO documentaries on TV. And so I was exposed to that early and I've had an ongoing interest in mysterious subjects, including UFOs, cryptids, psychic functioning, all kinds of things like that. And five years ago, I started a podcast called Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, where we each week we look at mysteries, uh, some mysterious subject every Friday. And we, unlike other shows, we don't just try to generate wonder and invite the audience to imagine what if this were true? Instead, we actually try to solve the mysteries. And so we lay out the background on a given case, let's say a UFO case. And then we make a list of possible explanations, including natural ones. And we always consider the natural explanations first, because only if the natural explanations fail, do we have warrant for a paranormal explanation. And then we look at the uh, possibilities from the perspectives of of faith and reason and say, what would reason tell us about this mystery? And then what would faith tell us about this mystery? How does it square with the Christian faith? So in the last five years, we've covered a bunch of different UFO reports. And some of them, I and they kind of, the ones we've covered kind of span the spectrum. Uh, in some cases, I've covered, I've uncovered evidence of hoaxers. Uh, for example, there's a very famous uh, UFO advocate named Stephen Greer, who I'm convinced is an outright hoaxer, and I've got the video to prove it. Then there are other UFO encounters where I think there's a natural explanation. I don't think we're warranted in going to another worldly explanation. But there are some where Uh, And there are also some where I think that the natural explanation may be classified technology. Uh, But then there are some that are harder to explain in terms of natural causes where I'm open to the idea that there might be something extraterrestrial going on. Uh, I'm not 100 percent convinced that that's what's happening in any of these cases, but it's a possibility that I think has to be considered. So Tyler, how about you? Let's get you uh, talk. What, what is it, what sort of sparked your interest in in this subject? And you wrote a paper about it. What what sort of interest uh, or what what sparked your interest in this subject? Yeah. So like astrobiology and uh, Christian Christian belief. Um, I started thinking kind of hard about this a few years ago. Um, when for some reason I was like, what if what if ETI? What if what if aliens existed? would that pose a problem for Christian belief? And for some reason, that bothered me more, actually, than the problem of evil or problem of divine hiddenness ever have. And I wasn't sure why. And um, still to this day, I, I, I'm not really able to, 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 I think, get at the heart of the matter of why sometimes whenever aliens are mentioned, um, people automatically think that, you know, well, that's a problem for Christianity. So uh, a, a couple of years ago, I messaged my friend, uh, Chad McIntosh, who is also on this program. 
Um, and uh, we wrote a paper. Um, it's in Philosophia Christi. Uh, you can get a free version of it um, online if you just Google um, Tyler McNabb. Houston, do we have a problem? It's like ETI and Christian belief, something like that. And uh, in the, in that paper, we kind of go through and we look like, what, why, why is there supposed to be a problem here? You know, what, what's, where's the tension really at? Where's the, the conflict lie, so to speak, to reference Plenty's work? Um, and so we looked at whether it be like, does, would, he need, would God, the Son, need multiple incarnations? Is that problematic? Could he just do everything in one incarnation? Um, what about, like, is a problem of evil exemplified? What if, like, these aliens started, like, dominating different worlds or destroyers of wars, uh, worlds? Uh, you know, like, how, how does that fit? Is there some sort of, like, narrative issue, right? Is there some tension within narratives? Uh, the Christian story, you read the scripture, then all of a sudden aliens just show up. Like, is, do we need some sort of uh, theodicy to kind of make sense of this narrative tension? And so we look at all these different issues, and we find them all wanting and, and saying, no, actually, Christianity is completely <laughs> consistent with um, aliens. In fact, I think um, that uh, theism actually predicts um, uh, would, would predict alien life a lot more than than naturalism would, um, with with respect to the probability of how um, unlikely it is that that life would occur through purely naturalistic processes, uh, and then not just have life, but specifically intelligent life, where we can reason and develop, and uh, our cognitive faculties are reliable, such that we can build spaceships and talk with other species across the lands, and and it, it not just having that in reference to us, but, you know, many other worlds as well. What's the probability that this would occur, right? It seems to me that this is uh, explained better, predicted better on theism. Um, and so I, I don't think that there's there's any tension here. So I guess um, my uh, specialty um, with regard to ETI is probably more in reference to if there's a conflict between Christian belief and ETI. Um, uh, not so much conspiracy theories, but I, I'm definitely interested to to um, talk about that today. Yes, yeah, so could I make a, could I make a point also, Cameron? Um, I think a lot of Christians have a concern here because you know we don't know presently of any other uh, material, physical intelligent life forms besides humans. And so Christians have a question of, you know, what would it mean if there are others, if there are physical beings like us elsewhere in creation and they're intelligent? Um, the, the short answer is, well, it would just mean God created other children elsewhere. I mean, we know we're not the only intelligent beings in existence. God made the angels who are non-physical intelligent beings. And he made us who are physical intelligent beings. So he could have made others. At least it's a logical possibility and it's no threat to the Christian faith. I think that sometimes Christians may be hesitant in that regard because it's not part of the Christian tradition to talk about aliens a lot. And, and we haven't known them growing up as a civilization. In the ancient world, it was commonly believed that the Earth was, you know, to give the Aristotelian model, the Earth was a sphere at the center of a set of concentric shells that the planets orbited on. And then beyond that, you had the sphere of the fixed stars. And that was the you, that was the worldview 
of the time. People believed that the world was a very small place that extended only slightly beyond the orbit of Saturn. And it wasn't known exactly what Saturn and the other planets were. There were just these little moving points of light. And so it wasn't commonly believed that there was space out there for other environments that might hold other beings like us. And so the modern view of the cosmos with stars and galaxies and planets, many of which are Earth-like, was just not part of what people were thinking about at the time. And so since it wasn't part of their worldview, it wasn't something that our civilization talked about a lot as it grew up. But now that we have a modern understanding of the size and dimensions of the cosmos, it's natural to wonder about these things. And the sources of faith simply don't address them one way or another, because it wasn't questions that ancient audiences were asking. They thought the universe was a much smaller place. But uh, just like Tyler, I recommend getting Tyler's paper. Also, I have an episode of Mysterious World where I talk about what would it mean for the Christian faith if extraterrestrial intelligence, intelligences turned out to exist? Would they need to be redeemed? Could we baptize them? Could they become priests? It's episode 55 of Mysterious World, and you can find it by going to mysterious.fm slash 55 if you'd like more information on all that. And, and I was just going to add, um, yeah, it would be a little weird, actually, if like ETI were mentioned and scripture. Right. So Chad and I suggest like, uh, you know, with, 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 without making too much of the kind of analogy uh, that, you know, God's our lover and he is uh, writing a, a, a letter to us, you know, Holy Script, Holy Scripture. Um, it would be a little weird in your, uh, in your letter if you were writing to your lover and to mention others. Right. <laughs> And so um, without, you know, getting too detailed into the popular analogy, uh, it seems to us that if if the Bible truly is um, a letter to us, a letter about God's love for us, um, then that that makes total sense why it wouldn't feature others. Um, But there have been different individuals uh, who, uh, within the Catholic tradition, uh, Nicholas Cusa, for example, and, and others, that have speculated. Um, about other lives on, um, you know, other worlds, so to speak. And so uh, while um, Jimmy's absolutely right, you know, <laughs> your wor- worldview might might uh, suggest why um, this wasn't talked about more, um, th- there still is some some suggestions and, and, and some uh, discussions about these sorts of things. And uh, I think, um, you know, Jimmy's right in that, these these things are open ended questions. Uh, whether you're a Christian or a Catholic Christian or whatever, uh, this isn't something that's um, you know ruled out by anything I'm aware of. Before we get into uh, more of those details about the impact on aliens and, and the impact on on Christianity, how that the, the overlap actually looks like, and and even some of the stuff that you were saying earlier, Tyler, about you know what what is this data like? What what hypothesis better predicts the existence of aliens? Uh, that to me is super interesting to think about, but I, I want to get to the video evidence that we've got recently. Well, it's video evidence in the form of like this guy's testimony. Okay. So it's, it's this guy saying that he's seen or heard things from people. And uh, he, again, his name is David Grush and uh, Grush. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this every Grush. Grush. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy uh, Grush. And so he's, uh, I, I believe uh, retired recently. Jimmy, maybe you should actually give the, the the sort of background. We even have a clip that we could play if we wanted to get some of his background here. But uh, why don't you go ahead and set us set us up here? 
Yeah. So David Grush is a uh, former Air Force officer and U.S. intelligence official who actually worked uh, with the UFO, with the um, congressionally mandated UFO study program or UAP program, as they're calling it these days. UA, UFO stands for unidentified flying object. But because of the associations that that word has come to have over the last few decades, they're now calling it they're now calling them UAPs, which stands either for unidentified aerial phenomena or unidentified anomalous phenomena. And they've switched to using that term just because they want to avoid the giggle factor that associates with the term UFO. And so in 1917 and sorry, in 2017, the New York Times broke a story about a program that the Navy had been running to look at uh, UAPs that had been encountered by Navy pilots for example, during military exercises like off the coast of San Diego, right here where I live, the famous Tic Tac incident occurred just a few miles out to sea. And Leslie Kane and a co-author broke this story in the New York Times. A gentleman from the program named Lou Elizondo, then uh, he left that program in order to be able to speak publicly about it. And he's been in the public eye somewhat ever since. This new gentleman, David Grush, is kind of an equivalent of him or a successor of his in the sense that he also used to work for this program, which Congress has now revised and expanded and tasked with studying these phenomena. And Grush became convinced that there were elements of UFO study programs, including a crash retrieval program that were being hidden from congressional oversight in other departments in uh, in the government and the military. So you had other UFO study programs that were supposed to be reporting to Congress that were evading that in these other departments. And so he wrote a, a whistleblower complaint to the uh, inspector general that oversaw all of this. And then he received punitive action. Uh, the U.S. government has policies to protect whistleblowers, but they don't always apply them. And Grush says that in his case, the whistleblower protections were not applied and he was punished on the job for doing his job of trying to bring this to Congress's attention. So he filed another complaint. He ended up leaving uh, the service so he could talk about this publicly. And that's what this is all about. The inspector general found his complaint. Uh, to be urgent and credible. And now that he's a private citizen, he's able to talk about these matters with more liberty. And so that kind of brings us up to where we are now. He's able to talk at least about what has been sort of declassified, or at least in, he can speak generally about the topic. He can't give any specific details that are classified, obviously. One one of the other things that I found interesting is that his Clearance level apparently was so high. Forget the the term that's used for his level of clearance. Something like fifty. Top or, secret I, I can't special remember. access. He has. It, it, uh, go ahead. So, so the way it works is once you have a top secret special access clearance, you can be read on to different programs. It doesn't mean you can just know anything. But given his position in the UAP task force, he had the ability to go to other groups and say, so tell me whatever you know about UAPs. And he had 
unofficial contacts with people in those departments who would tell him things. But then when he tried to get official confirmation, he says he ran into stone walls and they were trying to hide material from congressional oversight. Tyler, do you have any thoughts? Otherwise, we can move to some some yeah, clips we can move here. On. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, actually, before we get to the, the the clips, I wanted to ask you guys. You both have seen the interview, um, and also for anyone who's who's watching this currently, I've got the full interview linked in the description of this video. It links to the News Nation website. That's the only place you can actually watch the interview. Uh, I think there are some like ripped uh, versions of it on YouTube if you can find those, but. Um, the full interview, you can just click the link that I've got in the description. You can watch the full interview. What I actually found interesting was the, uh, the after show that they did after it was, was, uh, even almost more interesting than the the show itself. But it, nevertheless, you can go watch, uh, the, the full interview there. We are going to play some clips here, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you two, Jimmy and Tyler, before we, uh, play some of these clips is what did this interview do for you? Did it move the needle at all? Did you like watch this and think, okay, well, you know, my, my uh, credence in the existence of ETI has, has gone up or it's, it's sort of stayed the same or maybe even gone down. I, I, I doubt that's happened, but uh, what has this interview done for either of you? And then I'll give my answer. Jimmy, let's start Jimmy, with you. Jimmy, you want to go first? It didn't really do anything in terms of, of my, the level of credence I give to ET, to ET claims. I'm open to the existence of ET. ETs, I think they probably exist given the size of the universe. Um, I'm also open to the idea that they have been visiting Earth recently. I'm less convinced of that. that. Um, unfortunately, David Grush repeated a bunch of stuff that was already known in the UFO community. He doesn't, he doesn't provide any new evidence. Now, he may have some evidence that's new, that is still classified, that he's provided to the inspector general, but that hasn't come out publicly. So I can't comment on that. Um, What he's done is repeated what other people have told him. And the things he's been told have been out there in the UFO community for a long time. He didn't really add anything new. What I thought was most impressive was that, well, here we have an actual guy who worked for the program saying these stories are indeed circulating in the uh, in behind the scenes in the government Mm -hmm. UFO program and they need to be further investigated. And so I would agree with that. I think they do need to be further investigated and I look forward to the results of that investigation. But in terms of the evidence that has been presented so far, this didn't really add anything new for me. What it did do was kind of, advance the state of play a little bit in that because he's gone public, we're more likely to get a serious investigation of these claims. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a positive development, but I need to wait to see what are the results of that investigation. Right. Yeah. um, So I, I am, uh, I do believe (laughs) that aliens exist. Um, And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, fully prepared to either that I'm, fully expect that they have incarnation stories or something like that. It's kind of my own, my own take on these things or, and if they don't, I'm, I'm fully prepared to think that uh, maybe it's time to uh, start missions, intergalactic missions, but uh, <laughs> in reference to if they have visited our planet, and this is where I become a bit more skeptical. Um, I, I'm inclined to think that they have not, that we haven't had any communication. Um, what this interview did for me, I guess, like what Jimmy said, um, 
maybe we'll have more investigation about this, more thorough investigation. Uh, I'm inclined to, to not accept some of the more um, spectacular claims <laughs> that we'll get into um, about, you know, cover up and so forth, especially like with the Vatican. Um, but uh, I'm open. Um, I'm open to it. I'm open to the evidence. I, I don't think that the probability is, you know, zero. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at this as more of a continued conversation uh, uh, to continue the conversation even more to more uh, uh, invest, uh, officially investigate it in great detail. Um, keep our eyes open, so to th so to speak, um, kind of pay attention to it, uh, but m doesn't do much more than that for me. Hmm. Yeah, so I've been reflecting on this uh, a while since uh, the the interview came out, and I, I was just thinking, like, just just watching it, he seems uh, very confident. He seems like he's. It doesn't seem like he's lying. It seems like he's just relaying facts that he sort of investigated himself and and sort of came to that conclusion, and that's uh, that that's what he was relaying in the interview. And so, in in that sense, it was it seemed like credible testimony. Now, the question with testimony is always uh, how much evidence does this actually provide me? Right. And so you've got to uh, learn as much facts as you can about the the uh, the character of the witness. You know, you've got to learn, like, is this someone who is uh, going to have some sort of motivation or reason to deceive people? Do they have motivation to tell the truth? What What is what's really going on here with this with this witness? And so um, in that sense, I am. Uh, still pretty cautious. So I, I think this as actually has this interview for me personally, as someone who doesn't really dabble too deep into UFOs, UAPs, ETIs, like I don't really sound like I just listed some uh, STDs, but um, I, I, I don't really, I don't really uh, dabble too much in this area. Okay. So I haven't really studied it. I don't know like what exists, what is what's out there. I don't, I haven't really uh, gone too deep. So, uh, with that said, watching this interview, it did move the needle for me. It moved it a little bit. I won't say it moved it a whole lot, but it's definitely moved. It's, it's definitely increased my credence. I think before I was, I was pretty much agnostic. And so now I'm like, I don't know, in the fifties still, but probably like it just moved it up a little bit. So I would like to see more information come out. I'd like to see some information declassified. Uh, I, I found it really interesting that the, uh, Jimmy helped me out on this. Who, who was it that, that, said that he was credible or like this is a credible the inspector general's office right so that that to me is pretty interesting like he's probably privy to information that we're not uh so i don't know it just seems yeah. it seems like there's i would love for this to be true sorry go ahead jimmy well there's an with regard to the claim so what the inspector general's office said is that his complaint is urgent and credible and that can be taken more than one way. So it could mean that it's it's credible that he received on the job punishment. And that's all it might mean that and it's urgent because it's a violation of our whistleblower protection policies. Mm. Um, what it, how it's being spun in the press is not only did he receive on the job punishment for doing his job, but also his claims are claims credible. he's making are credible that um, that that there really is a crash retrieval program that's being hidden from Congress. And I don't know that the inspector general has ruled on that because 
it seems to me that the safe interpret could mean that, but I haven't seen evidence that would prove that that's what the inspector general meant. And so it seems to me the safer interpretation of what the inspector general's office said is that it's urgent and credible that he received on the job punishment. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. So, and they, and I don't think the inspector, I don't think they've looked into the is, but is there a crash retrieval program? I don't know that they're commenting on that. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, just thinking more about uh, just, just personally autobiographically, how, how has this impacted me? Um, something that I, I also try to take into consideration is what, what is my prior probability of the existence of, of aliens? And I don't know that I've really worked that out. So like when it comes to the resurrection and Christianity and stuff, like that's one of the factors that you've got to at least have some ballpark idea of like, how likely is it that God would want to raise Jesus from the dead before you look at the evidence? How likely is that? Because if it's just almost impossible, then it's going to take a ridiculous amount of evidence to overcome that initial improbability that you face. So you've got to have some kind of idea of how likely it would be in the first place before you look at any evidence of how likely a resurrection event would, would be. And then, so the same, I mean, and this goes not just for resurrections, not just for aliens, but for literally anything that you're trying to calculate the probability of how likely is it that Smith is the murderer? We've got to look into his background. You've got to look like in, in general, it's very unlikely that any particular person is a murderer. So how likely is it that this individual person is a murderer? You've got to have some idea of that before you then look at the evidence that uh, that's against him because the evidence, if it's, uh, not that great, then uh, and it's really unlikely that he's a murderer, then you're going to come away thinking that he's not the murderer. So uh, when it comes to to aliens, that's just something that I haven't really done enough hard thinking about is is how likely is it on my worldview, everything else that I know about the world or or uh, perceive about the world, what, 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 how likely is it that aliens might exist? Uh, that's a, a probability that I haven't really thought too much about and I probably need to before I uh, you know, consider the the testimony of someone like David Grush. So um, with that said, let's go ahead and just play some of the clips. So we've got 24 clips and we, we may not get to all of them. We may actually get to all, uh, I don't know. They're all pretty short. Um, and thank you again, Jimmy, for, uh, for putting all these clips together for us. So we'll work through these clips sort of systematically. We'll work through uh, one by one. And if we feel like we just need to skip a couple to, to get forward and, and move along, we can do that. But let's get to some of his background. We'll start here. Uh, the first clip is just the background of Grush. And so uh, let's do that. Let's play that clip and then we'll get some commentary on it. My name is uh, David Grush. You know, I came from a blue collar family in Pittsburgh. I didn't have the money for college. Always admired people in uniform. And I've always wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. You know, 18 years ago, you know, I got an Air Force scholarship for physics. Uh, I originally commissioned on active duty in the Air Force, uh, served 14 years in the Air Force. I look at this photograph, Dave. And I see a very proud officer. Uh, I was getting promoted to captain when I was uh, deployed. And you still love your country, don't you? Absolutely. A career intelligence officer, Grush spent time on the ground in Afghanistan and other places he can't mention. 
before rotating back to Washington. I was an intel officer for the U.S. for 14 years. My last position, which I left in April of 2023, um, I co-led the UAP portfolio for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and some of the highest officials within the Department of Defense and Intelligence community used to call on me to advise them on some of the hardest uh, target sets that the country had. You are one of the most trusted former intelligence officials in the U.S. defense and intelligence establishment. Yes, I was. You were trusted with the most intimate secrets. Yes. So I think this is important. I mean, it's really good that they, it seems like News Nation really did their due diligence in looking into this guy's background. And so, Jimmy, do you have any thoughts on uh, on his background and, and how credible he is in terms of like where he, he came from, the sort of things that he did beforehand? And I guess this also does relate too to his. Um, he, he says that he's not a sort of disgruntled employee. It's not as if he was fired and now he's trying to like get back at the government or anything like that. So all of this is, is sort of related to you know how credible is his testimony. But Jimmy, what are your thoughts? Well, there have been lots of people in the UFO community over the years who have come out and tried to say, "Here, this big stunning revelation of we've got." alien bodies and crashed UFOs in a hangar at Area 51 and things like that. And a lot of these people have, I'll put it this way, none of the people who have reported such things have been as highly qualified as Grush is. Uh, many of them either don't have a military background and are lying about it, or maybe they had a military background or were working as a civilian contractor, but in a very peripheral way. Here we have someone who is central to the UF to the government's UFO investigative process saying these things and and that's different than what we've had in the past on the other hand he's an air force former air force intelligence officer and one of the things about intelligence officers is they lie they run disinformation ops and there are known cases where um, intelligence officials have lied about the about UFOs to people there is a famous case in the late 70s and early 80s in New Mexico, where a businessman named Paul Benowitz had, who lived right next to Kirtland Air Force Base, thought he had uncovered alien activity. In fact, he thought he'd uncovered an alien invasion at Kirtland Air Force Base. What he'd really done is stumbled onto a classified program. And it, when he contacted the Air Force to let them know about the alien activity he thought he'd uncovered, they assigned a caseworker to him named Richard Doty, who was an Air Force intelligence officer. And rather than reveal the fact that Benowitz had uncovered a classified program, Benowitz fed him a story, allegedly on the orders of his superiors, that confirmed Benowitz's belief in an alien invasion. And so he terrified this man. Uh, Benowitz ended up having a mental breakdown as a result because Richard Doty was an Air Force officer, an intelligence officer, giving him a disinformation in order to cover up something classified. And um, frankly, Richard Doty is a lying liar who lies. And that's something that intelligence officials do as part of their job sometimes. So it's something we need to keep in mind is could this be part of some kind of psyop or disinformation campaign? Because such things have happened in the past in, with UFOs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm inclined to think that um, he's, he's, he seems to be a good candidate, epistemically speaking. 
um, who would be connected with others, uh, who would know, I think, that testimony, uh, that you can accept testimony uh, that's not from the person themselves, but, yeah, say, from another person that they knew uh, intimately well. Uh, I, I think that's totally fine. I think that's uh, the, the testimony uh, counts. Um, so, I, again, I don't want to rule any of this out, um, just like I think with the Gospels that, um, you know, if, if there's eyewitness testimony um, that, that's mentioned, uh, maybe it's not from the author himself, but maybe it's from uh, uh, an apostle that the individual knew, right? Um, and so I think that's that's totally okay. I don't have a problem with it. I think he's in good epistemic shape in reference to um, being a candidate who would be in the know, so to speak. And as as Jimmy said, uh, given his 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 ranking and his clearance level, um, this individual stands out far more than any of the ones I've ever heard of uh, with respect to um, uh, if ETI exists. So uh, I'm you know initially when I first saw this, I was actually like really really excited. I thought, well, this is this is like one of the best candidates ever. Like, let's let's hear let's hear what he says. So, uh, if if you were mentioning earlier, kind of, we're going to factor all this in our priors. Um, I'm uh, given that I already do believe in in uh, aliens, and given that uh, to me this guy seems to pass lots of tests with some caution, uh, as Jimmy mentioned. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's something to take seriously, uh, regardless of he's telling the truth or not. I think uh, from our standpoint, given our evidence that we have, it's something that we should um, entertain. So we haven't really got into anything that he's actually claimed so far, but we're still kind of just like assessing where he, where he's at, like his, his credibility. So uh, on that note, why don't we go, uh, go to a clip that's sort of actually at the end of the clips that you sent me, Jimmy, where uh, this explains how he checked out his claims, how he sort of uh, his, his methods for investigating uh, what he was being told. So let's play this clip. It's uh, how he checked his claims. You haven't been fed disinformation. It's a common thing in intelligence for governments to mislead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was very sensitive to that fact. Um, you know, was this some kind of ruse against me? Uh, am, am I being used in any kind of way? Um, and I took about four years being very methodical before I filed my, my whistleblower complaint to be absolutely certain of these basic facts. You so know? take me through the process of how you convinced yourself that this is real? Um, well, based on the, the credential people that came to me, um, some of these subjects provided me uh, sensitive foreign intelligence to read, uh, sensitive program documents and photographs to evaluate, um, and then uh, described in very specific detail um, how all this worked. And they were telling me the, the exact extremely specific details um, that all it all checked out. Yeah. So how do you feel about his uh, his method for I mean, it sounds to me like he I mean, took four years to really think about things and and try to investigate. And, and obviously he's compacting down all of this, uh, you know, a four year process into just this little snippet that he's that he's saying in an interview. So there's no telling how much time he had to, like, really think hard about, like, are these guys like really playing a joke on me, like telling me these things or is this actually real? And uh, it sounds like at the end of that, he came to the conclusion that this is this is a real thing. And again, it doesn't strike me as as this is someone who's talking, who is making stuff up like it's, it sounds like he's he really was convinced that this is this is real. And so he's he's sort of sincere. It's kind of like uh, going back to the analogy of the resurrection. 
one of the things that you do in the resurrection is you try to rule out sort of conspiracy hypotheses. Like the, the disciples weren't just making it up. They were sincere. Now you can, you might have some still, nevertheless, some natural explanation why they experience what they experience, like hallucinations or something like that. And so in the case of, of Grush, you might have some other natural explanation, uh, just like the people that were talking with him were all of the, those were the people that were lying. It wasn't Grush that was lying. It was the other people that were lying to him. And so, but then that seems pretty unlikely also, like given his, his testimony about him believing that they were telling the truth. And um, I mean, it, it doesn't take too long. Like if you know someone to be with them, it, it it's, you can kind of tell like, is this person lying to me? Does he lie about other things or are they credible in all of these situations except for this one thing? Most people can kind of tell like just hanging out with someone, whether or not they're uh, they're a credible person. And so um, I, I don't know. I mean, this 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 sounds again, it sounds like a point in, in sort of uh, in, in his favor. Like this sounds like a, a reasonable thing that he did and the way that he went about it. So uh, any thoughts, guys? So there are two possibilities here. If this is a dis- disinformation campaign, either Grush is himself a conscious disinformation agent or he has been duped by people who are disinformation agents. In regard to the first possibility, he does come across as a sincere person in the interview, and that would suggest he's sincere. On the other hand, disinformation agents are paid to look sincere, so he might be very good at his job at appearing sincere when he's not. Um, a, A stronger factor to my mind is his whistleblower complaint is filed under penalty of perjury. And so he has legal exposure and could go to prison if he's lying about this, if he's consciously lying. Now, there is an answer for that, too, which could be, well, if this is a disinformation op, he's been promised that he won't be prosecuted when the story falls apart, if it falls apart. Um, But I still think that the balance of evidence, given that he he did sign this under penalty of perjury, suggests he is sincere and that's corroborated by his appearance of sincerity and by other people who have who know him who have vouched for his sincerity so i think the odds are he's sincere so if this is a disinformation op then he would be he would have been lied to by disinformation agents who are working in various government or military positions. And we do know that there are disinformation people working in other departments. Uh, they're, they're paid to do it. Um, so they do exist. I think it's good that he recognized the disinformation possibility here and that he says he spent four years checking this out. Uh, yeah. That is that is a sign of credibility that, you know, if he He was aware of the possibility. He was being lied to. He spent a long time checking it out. Unfortunately, what he doesn't give us is the evidence that he used to check it out because that evidence is still classified. For example, he says at one point that he's seen photographs. Of course, photos could be fake, but it would be nice to see them. He's also said he's read various classified reports. It would be nice to see those. Unfortunately, we haven't seen those because they're still classified. So I can't comment on the evidence, but at least the fact that he says he was aware of this issue and spent a long time checking it out is a is a is a sign that he that is a sign of additional credibility, not just in his sincerity, but that he tested the claims that he was being given. And for him, they passed scrutiny. Yeah, so in this case, um, 
we, you know, with the Gospels, for example, or, or with the idea that disciples sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, um, outside of, hey, they look like um, faithful first century Jews, right, of the Second Temple era, um, probably they're not going to uh, be into to, to lying. You know, maybe they're like really atheists and they're just trying to get everyone to believe this to overthrow some some um power structure like you know stuff like that that seems quite implausible given what we know um about the disciples and given what we know about um second temple judaism and, and first century judaism um but obviously with the disciples you you have the idea that it seems like they sincerely believe because um our best kind of historical uh understanding of what happened to the disciples was that you know uh, a lot of them at least um, died uh, and were persecuted in great ways, and they didn't cave. Uh, of course, I'm not saying that um, that in itself shows that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. I'm just purely talking about the sincerity of belief here. Um, mm. And we, we can't do that fully here, and hopefully we won't be able to in that sense, because, you know, hopefully um, uh, David won't be facing great persecution and so forth. Uh, but I do think that the perjury comment, I, I do think that does help Somewhat. I mean, it's not as good as like it could be, but that perjury, um, uh, you know, the the under perjury clause that 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 does do something at least that helps. That gets us somewhere at least. So uh, again, um, I'm you know I'm with Jimmy. I'm I'm wanting a lot more information here. I want to see the evidence. Right. Uh, I, I, want, I, I want this to be um, put up front. But hopefully, if anything, like I said, this gets people talking and this gets uh, more seriously investigated uh, by those who have the power to do so. So one thing that uh, that both of you have mentioned is like you, you want to see the evidence. And to, to me, when I think about, again, going going back to uh, the gospel accounts and everything, like I see those as evidence. I see testimony as as mm-hmm. a, a form of evidence or at least. Yeah, it's a it's a form yeah. of evidence. And so um Maybe what you mean to say is that you want more evidence or you want a different type of evidence or you want some like some declassified documents or pictures or videos or uh, some something of that uh, of that sort, because I, I've even seen sp- people uh, reacting kind of like the way that, that Jimmy has earlier in, in, in the show, um, saying that he's not really giving any new information. This is stuff that's been known to the UFO community for a long time. And so they, they want to see something different. They want to see something more now. Yeah. Um, can, can, can I comment on the how I would approach the issue of testimony and evidence? Yeah. Um, so I I approach so humans use language to communicate, and the there's a basic presumption of trust in what other people tell us. If we systematically distrusted everything that we were told, society would fall apart, and we wouldn't be able to function. So instead, and it's actually uh, a psychological disorder. Well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so we actually have a default assumption of trust in what other people tell us. And so we give credence to other people's testimony. However, that presumption of trust can be overcome in various situations because we're aware that people can make mistakes. They can mm-hmm. misperceive things. There can be natural explanations for things that people thought were not natural. There can be hoaxes and so forth. So when we are considering A claim that is dramatic, at least one we subjectively regard as dramatic, something that is contrary to our priors, to use Bayesian language, um, we we naturally want to look at these other possibilities. And in the case of 
the Gospels and the other New Testament documents, well, we have these testimonies, we have these documents, there's a presumption of trust, but if we are approaching them from a perspective, from a non-Christian perspective, so that what these documents are saying violates our prior expectations, it's natural to look at them and say, okay, could there be something else going on here? Could the disciples have misperceived things? Could they have just maybe gone to the wrong tomb and thought it was empty? But there's a plausible rejoinder to that. Or could Jesus have a twin and the twin got crucified and then they saw the living twin alive and thought Jesus had been raised? But then there are problems with that. So what you find is that when you consider the Gospels, you take them, you know, there's an initial presumption of trust. But if you're coming from a non-Christian perspective and they violate your prior beliefs, then you look at these other alternatives. And what apologetics has shown is that the other al- the alternative explanations are all shot through with problems. These mm-hmm. guys are sincere. They didn't plausibly go to another tomb because the Jewish authorities would have just produced the body. Um, they, there wasn't a twin. They would have known about a twin, and if they knew about the twin, they wouldn't leap to the conclusion Jesus was raised from the dead. They just say, "Oh, hey, you're the twin. How you doing?" Um, so the so I think that the Gospels as testimony survive that testing process. Um, when you apply the testing process to the Gospels and the other New Testament documents, they pass. And so the presumption of trust is restored. Um, When it comes to these UFO claims, we have the claims, we have the testimony. I think we need to be open to that as evidence, but then it needs to be tested. And here is where we've encountered problems in the UFO community because there are known disinformation agents. And there have been a variety of documents released, some of them, Uh, Back in the 1980s and 90s, there were a famous set of documents released known as the Majestic 12 or MJ-12 documents that appear to have been manufactured by someone in government intelligence that were then used as part of a disinformation op. And a lot of the claims that Grush is making are very similar to claims that are made in the MJ-12 documents. And if the MJ-12 documents have been largely debunked, including on stylistic grounds and historical anachronisms they contain. And so if this is just recycled MJ-12 stuff, then this wouldn't be any more credible than the MJ-12 documents themselves were. And so that's part of why I'd like to see more evidence to see if these claims uh, can survive additional testing. And so yeah. For me, um, yeah, um, testimony is evidence. Uh, I think that if if he's telling the truth right now and someone just finds themselves, let's say Cameron, for example, just finds himself believing like, yeah, what he's saying is true. Right. I, th- I think we're hardwired to accept testimony as a means to know. And if your faculties are functioning properly, uh, as you accept his testimony, um, you can't kick that that trust, that belief. Uh, and it's, it's, it's part of a true testimonial, you know, reliable cycle here, uh, testimonial chain. Um, then, then I think that you could know apart from investigating with further evidence. So uh, I totally think that that that's the case. Personally, I don't find myself uh, doing that. I'm, I'm cautious. I'm interested. Um, so for me and my psychological state currently, that's what would be the difference uh, is that it seems to me that the more uh, needs to be done for my own psychological states, you know, perhaps given um you know, my, my background and so forth. So, 
Um, yeah. I, I think I don't want to dismiss testimony and I don't want to, to, to make it seem like you need more than testimony to know things. That's just obviously false. Um, uh, you know, you know, young children, um, they just trust the testimony of the parents all the time. <laughs> uh, it's not like they're thinking, hmm, do I have good reason to trust my parent? <laughs> uh, well, in the past, they've been reliable, so probably in the future as well, right? But they don't do this sort of inductive process, right? No, testimony is its own uh, means to know. It's its own, I take a non-reductive view of testimony um, for those familiar with the testimony literature. Um, so again, I don't want to belittle testimony here at all. I'm just saying from yeah. my own psychological makeup, um, I, I think I require something a bit more. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I, I think that when it, when it comes to testimony, you can sort of be in different stages. So like you can be in the stage of being initially told whatever it is you're, you're being told like, Hey, I saw this guy murder this other person. And so you can be in that state where you haven't really investigated any, anything else beyond that. Like you, all you know, is yeah. you, you've been told this, you don't know anything about the person. You haven't really investigated anything else. And so you can be in different stages in, in the sort of uh, circumstance that you're in when you're presented with someone's testimony. So uh, just like Thomas, doubting Thomas, like he was presented with this evidence, like this testimonial evidence. Hey, Jesus has come back. And he's like, I need to see it for myself. And then Jesus does show uh, himself to to Thomas. And and then uh, he, you know, that, that whole story sort of plays out. So you can be in different uh, stages of, uh, of being told some some sort of level of testimony. And then you can go in further and investigate it a little bit further. And I think that all three of us are kind of saying that when it comes to something like this with Grush and everything is that we're in the stage of we need to uh, investigate further with this. So we're not discounting right. it, but it is sort of giving us a little piece but we need to uh, we need to investigate it further, and so that's and, and, that's basically where we're at. We haven't we haven't done that. And, and again, I don't want to discount not only his testimony but others. Like again, I think it's epistemically possible that, uh, given that we're designed to accept testimony as as a means to know, and if someone finds themselves just trusting his testimony and believing it, and that's, that testimony is part of a, a warrant testimonial cycle, um, you know, he really does have warranted belief, and that's being passed transferred to you. Uh, I, I think that's sufficient. Um, it's just, again, I think most people's psychological makeups, perhaps because they're priors and so on this sort of thing, it's going to be a little different. In reference to the disinformation uh, campaign, I do find that to be probably the most plausible alternative to what's, what's going on here. Uh, um, uh, the yeah. one that he's not himself an agent, but has been being fed information um, from, from others. Um, like I said, the perjury thing, you know, to, uh, far as I can tell, he seems like an honest guy. That, that sort of thing seems like he sincerely believes this. Um, but well, it does we know that like spies exist, like people live That's these right. completely different lives. And, you know, we don't know about it until years and years later. It, it does seem to come make the, the, the hypothesis more complex, though, right? Because you're like, well, what if there's even this larger conspiracy going on here? Yeah. And and uh, there's these individuals who are, are trying to um, persuade him to do this for this particular reason. And I mean, you sort of add to the hypothesis here. So um, obviously that might not matter ultimately, but that is something to consider as well. Can, can I offer a thought on just because it will help fill in the picture a little bit for people who aren't familiar with this area um, of why the disinformation op would exist? Um, I mentioned, so one reason that military officials have used disinformation in regard to UFOs is to keep classified projects classified. For example, in, in the 1960s, um, the Air Force and the CIA were developing a pair of twin aircraft, the public 
Air Force version is the S was the SR-71 Blackbird. It was a spy plane. And the Air Force, the CIA equivalent was known as the ox cart. And in order to um, in order to keep uh, the planes light enough, especially the ox cart, it was unpainted. So it had a titanium silvery metallic hull. And if you would see an ox cart from kind of a bad angle, it would have a thick middle section with little extensions where the wings were. And at times people would see UFOs like just before dawn or just after sunset. And what they were actually looking at was an ox cart being tested in the sky. And because it's high up in the sky, the sun is still up at the altitude the ox cart is. So it's reflecting off the metallic hull of the ox cart. It looks like you've got a glowing UFO up there. And so a lot of UFO reports from that era were actually sightings of classified military and, and intelligence technology. And the government f- allowed that to happen and, and in some cases fed that story into the UFO community to keep them from realizing what they were seeing. So in that case, the disinformation was being op was being against the UFO community. But there are other reasons why one would run a disinformation op such as against our nation state competitors, which at the time would be the Soviet Union and China. One of the things that's been noted about the MJ-12 documents, which claimed we had crash retrieval, we had alien bodies, we had met with the aliens, we had an agreement with the aliens, we'd signed a treaty with them. Um, That was happening. The MJ-12 documents were coming out at the end of the Cold War when the Soviet bloc and then eventually the Soviet Union itself was falling apart, we had almost gone to nuclear war several times in the 1980s, such as the 1983 Abel Archer incident almost caused a nuclear war. The Soviet leadership was very unstable. And so it's been proposed that one of the functions of the MJ-12 documents was to run a PSYOP on the Soviets to tell them, in essence, hey, don't mess with the Americans because they've got alien tech and alien allies and they'll kick your butts. Mm -hmm. And so that may have been why part of why the MJ-12 documents were released. Well, what's our situation today? Uh, Russia is fighting the Ukraine. Putin has been nuclear saber rattling and threatened to using threatening to use nuclear weapons. And all of a sudden we have this news story about, hey, the U.S. has reverse engineered alien tech and agreements with aliens, which is one of the things that Grush hints at. It's another it's it looks like a recycling of MJ-12, including possibly a recycling of a psyop against our nation state competitors. Hmm. And it wouldn't just be Russia, right? It would also be China. I think China. That that's that's a. That's a clip that we have uh, that we can play a little bit later if we if we get to it. Let, let's play. Let's go ahead and play some of the clips of the actual content that he that he presents in the in the uh, the interview. So uh, let's start at the very beginning where he explains the sort of crash retrieval program that he was a part of or was privy to. What conclusion did you come to at the end of your time on the UAP task force? Uh, the UAP task force was refused access to um, a broad crash retrieval program. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft, if you will, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft 
from another species? We do. Yeah. How many? Quite a number. You're kidding. No. I was actually watching this is this is unrelated to what he was just talking about. But I was watching another clip from a uh, now I can't remember his credentials or anything. But as I was sort of preparing for this interview today, this guy who analyzes body language and uh, he was he was making some interesting points. I think it sh- I shared it with the with the two of you guys yes. uh, before we before we started. But, yeah, there were some interesting that that interesting things that can be caught there, too, with uh, the the pursing of the lips and stuff and everything. I, I'm not a body body language expert, but. I'm I'm very skeptical. I'm very skeptical of body language experts being able to tell anything definitive. In fact, one of the things I appreciate, I'd already seen the clip that you sent of the body language guy looking at this, uh, looking at Grush. And I was pleased that he was honest enough to say, this body language could be read this way and it could be read that way. If there was a definitive way to read people, there would be a lot fewer liars in the world. So I'm I'm a skeptic of of being able to be really confident based on body language one way or another. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we just continue with some more clips here? Uh, unless Jimmy, you've got anything that you want to say initially about that one? Nope. That's okay. the essence of his claim. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's move on to uh, what, what is this one hidden from Congress? Tell me what that one's about. He talks about how he uncovered the existence of this program and it's being hidden from congressional oversight, contrary to government mandate. All right, let's play that one just really quickly. I thought it was totally nuts. And I thought at first I was being deceived. It was a ruse. People started confiding in me. They approached me. I have plenty of current and former senior intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me they were a part of a program. They named the program. See, I mean, that's this is an unfortunate uh, pause here. But see, that to me, like he, he knew these people, he said his whole life. Let me play that again. I have plenty of current and former senior intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me they were a part of a program. So he, yeah, he he knew them almost his whole career, and then they came out and confided in him. Mm-hmm. See that? Well, I guess it, it could still just be part of this big, you know, disinformation campaign. It could just be that, they, like, now is their chance to, like, feed this guy some bad information. Yeah. Right. It could well, it could be, just... it could be because he just got this position on the UFO task force. And so now uh-huh. they would come forward to him with this information, mm-hmm. either because the information is true or because they wanted to run a disinformation op because now he's yeah. in the right position to use the data. Yeah. And then he, and if he did, he just took it like, what's the term? Uh, hook line sinker. What is it called? I can't, I can't remember the phrase. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm hook, terrible hook, with phrases. Hook, hook line and sinker but he says he thought he initially he was being deceived so he wanted to check yes. it out and he spent four yeah. years doing that yeah yeah okay let, let's finish out this clip they named the program i've never heard of it and they they told me based on their oral testimony um and they provided me documents and other other proof that there was in fact a program that the uap task force was uh, not read into hmm. All right. And, well, well, and yeah, and unless you have a, anything there, we can continue. There's a mark of credibility here. Uh, he says they named the program, and that's good because once you have a name, you can check it out. And so even though we, the public, can't check it out, internally in the government and the Defense Department, it can be checked out. Does a pro- Has a project by this name ever existed? Also, another mark of credibility, we do have 
and have had um, classified tech retrieval programs. One of them was named Project Moondust, and its function was to capture technology either one way or another, either just outright stealing it or getting it from a wreck, you know, recovering technology from a wreck, uh, whether it was from our nation state competitors or or from anywhere else. And so Project Moondust was a real project. It really existed. There have been other projects. For example, you may be familiar with the expression, I cannot confirm or deny. That's known as the Glomar response. And it came from a project where a Russian submarine had crashed and the U.S. had partnered with Howard Hughes to build a ship uh, to retrieve the submarine. And this was Project Glomar. And when asked, are you recovering this Russian submarine? They developed the response. We can neither confirm or deny that. So that phrase itself originated in a crash retrieval program. A Russian sub had crashed and we were retrieving it. So there have been crash retrieval programs before and that there could well be one now. So a friend of mine, this is completely unrelated to uh, everything that you just said, Jimmy, and the clip that we just played. Uh, Nevertheless, I think it's an interesting uh, comment, something that I've thought about, something that other people have brought up as I've been uh, as I was perusing the the UFO subreddit. So uh, this one comes from a friend of mine, Cesar Bernstein, who actually the reason why I know him or that I initially sort of knew him is because he's got this really great article on the possibility premise of the ontological argument. So that's completely different topic. But so here's his, here's for his credibility dude he's amazing he's he's awesome so uh but here's his objection okay here's here's his like i don't know if it's his main objection but he just texted me this he said if the government knew of alien visitations trump would have learned about it yes if trump yes. if trump had learned about wow. it we'd have heard about the evidence from him he can't keep his mouth shut we haven't heard about the evidence from him so the government doesn't know of alien visitation I was okay. literally going to bring that up earlier, and I was just like, I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it. I was going to bring up the same sort of argument. That's funny. Yeah. So I can tell you what the UFO community response to that argument is, which is that one of the reasons they're, in, they're evading congressional oversight is to keep various people in the government who are blabbermouths from learning about this stuff um, that uh, and this is this this claim goes back a long way. Um, it, but basically, the idea is that this information is very highly compartmentalized and it is not shared with congressional representatives because many of them are crazy blabbermouths and it is not shared with all presidents because some of them are crazy blabbermouths. And so um, the idea is that it's, it's held very tightly and um, the knowledge is being withheld from many people in actual government because they're not considered reliable. Yeah. I've also heard, I think it was in the after show that they mentioned that the the people in these positions that that actually have the the knowledge and classification and everything they don't share it with presidents because they view them as uh i think the the term was a temporary employee so mm-hmm. like they're not this you know so they they don't want to just be handing out this information for someone who's only going to be in power or office for you know, a few years. years. And the, yeah. And then, and then be out of there. And then you never know, like, especially with someone like Trump, you never know what would happen with uh, giving someone like that, that, uh, that information, what, what purpose would that serve? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that this is the strongest objection 
What are your thoughts, Tyler? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can, you can make sense of it that way, but I do think it's really funny to think about and, uh, to to ponder on, but, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the conditional, if Trump was told he would have shared that information, that conditional is like as certain as a proposition can be. (laughs) (laughs) So, But yeah, so but then the question is is the the antecedent true and I don't know that it is. Okay. Um all right, so here it is. Let's play uh the the next clip on non-human intelligence. You are alleging that the US government has been concealing the existence on this planet of alien life. I would couch it as non-human intelligence, you know, NHI like we would like to say that's interesting. Why why does he couch it in, in those terms, do you think, Jimmy, instead well, of saying goes, that it's an alien? He goes on to explain because he's not sure where the intelligences are coming from. He's open to the possibility that they're coming from they're not coming from elsewhere in our universe. They're coming from a parallel dimension. So they might be coming from a parallel Earth, in which case they wouldn't be extraterrestrials. They're paraterrestrials and so rather than prejudicing um where they come from by saying alien or extraterrestrial he's using the term uh nhi for just non-human intelligence meaning they're not us and they're intelligent but we're not talking about where they come from they could be they could be from another planet in our universe. They could be from our planet in a parallel dimension. They could be what are sometimes called crypto terrestrials. If there's a hidden race here on earth somehow. Um, so he's, he's trying to stick with theory neutral terminology of just they're non-human and they're intelligent, but we're not saying anything or implying anything beyond that about where they come from. My issue there is that he later he later says that we have bodies like we have mm-hmm. bodies of of these intelligences um however if you've got that wouldn't you know like if you've got a body you would know that it was a human like what well even if it's like a non- parallel human of they're, of like they're he's, say, he, he's saying they're non-human and so if we let's say we get a body we run a dna test on it and it's a non-human, but it might be a non-human if evolution ran differently in a parallel world. It could be from another dimension, from a parallel Earth, where evolution unfolded differently, and so it doesn't have human DNA. Mm. Okay. And so, but then, I, I, couldn't you still just say that that's an alien? Well, you could. Alien is a term. I mean, he. Alien is a term that is strictly speaking neutral. I mean, it just means something, someone or something that's foreign. So in in Mexico, I'm an alien. And in America, a Mexican is an alien. It's it. But the term has come to mean extraterrestrial in the popular Mm -hmm. mind. And so he's trying to avoid prejudicing things in favor of the extraterrestrial hypothesis by using the word alien. Okay, let's continue with the clip. Our, our language. Why do you say that? Why do you say NHI? I don't want to necessarily denote origin. I don't think we have all the data to say, oh, they're coming from a certain a certain location. And I and I, I couch it as somebody who studied physics, where maybe they're coming from a different physical dimension, as described in quantum mechanics. That was an interesting clip. Let's play the other one. Uh, the other clip where he mentions bodies. We'll just play that one now. Mm-hmm. 
Do we have bodies? Do we have species? Of well, naturally, um, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, um, sometimes you encounter um, dead pilots. And uh, believe it or not, as, fan as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. See, that's a that's an when he says comments like this is a sort of throwaway comment as fantastical as that sounds, he knows how crazy it sounds. That to me is a mark of credibility. Like he knows mm -hmm. that what he's saying is is crazy and he's sort of marking that and saying as crazy as that sounds, that's like, like that's what's true. And so to me, like that's that's what I would expect for someone to to do or to say who is in the position of like him telling the truth. So I think mm -hmm. that that sort of adds that those those types of comments add to his credibility. I would agree. It's a it's a small mark because a good a good liar will also do that. But it is a mark of credibility. Yeah. But see, see like a liar. I don't know. I feel like there would be some acting that you'd be able to to pick up on. And I'm not picking up on any of that. So either he's like one of the best liars that I've ever seen or he's he's literally just telling me and, and there's there's other people that have that have duped him and then you might think like going back to the um uh the what what, what was it called the kind of the body uh movement analysis guy that that you know we saw and he yeah. basically mm -hmm. thought that he was hiding something body or language. lying yeah sort of body language analysis well you, then you might think well if he was lying maybe and he was like a really great liar then he'd be able to replicate all the positives for body uh, um, language analysis to pick up on and, and to indicate that he actually wasn't lying, <laughs> you know? And so you, you can get into, if he really is this expert trained liar, then, then perhaps he would have passed these tests with flying colors, but he, you know, these were much more subjective and maybe didn't do so hot under them. Um, and so, yeah, this, this can get kind of, like I said, it, it, it start to explode the hypothesis because then it's like, well, that's what he wants you to think. So, uh, and you can just continue to go on this kind of um, conspiracy uh, trail here. So I, I think, I think that um, uh, there is some mark of uh, credibility uh, when through his body language and, and, and as he's sort of articulating this, I think you, maybe you wouldn't expect this as much on the hypothesis that he was a trained liar. Um, and it's true. There are a lot of, you know, out there claims. I mean, for example, this reminds me of an episode I did of Mysterious World. Uh, Cameron, you know, Cameron, I know this sounds crazy, but I actually uncovered evidence that without telling us, the U.S. government is putting hydroxylic acid in our water supply. Did I just lie? Did you just lie? Um, no. Yeah, because I just I just did the same thing he did. I said, I know this is crazy, but. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no, I, I know that is the US, yeah, yeah, the, US, the U.S. government is putting hydroxylic acid in our water supply because hydroxylic acid is a chemical name for water. So the government <laughs> is putting water in our water supply and they're not telling us it's hydroxylic acid. <laughs> Uh, no, I, yeah, I think that, um, if so, like you'd have to just, I, I guess I'm just not like really couched in the type of psychology that someone would have to be in to be that level of, of liar. And so it's, it's so, so foreign to Good, me. good. Yeah. That means you're yeah. an honest person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just, uh, easily duped. I don't know.
Well, why don't we play? Let's play some more clips. Let's play uh, one from him where he explains what he's seen. Let's do that one. Have you seen spacecraft? I've seen some interesting photos and I've read some very interesting reports. But, he says, the specific documents and photos that would prove his claims are still classified and he cannot disclose them here. Yeah, so he says he has seen things. He's like seen things himself. It's not just that he's hearing stories from other people. He's seen reports. He's seen photos. He does mention that elsewhere as well that there are other videos that could be declassified and released, but the, the government's just not doing that. And so he has seen, you know, it, it's not just a case of, uh, I mean, may, maybe those could be part of the disinformation campaign as well. Well, hypothetically, I, when he refers to the videos that could be declassified, I think he's referring to other videos that the UFO task force has in its possession. When it mm-hmm. comes to this crash retrieval program, what he's seen are photos and documents. And I've seen some accounts that said he hadn't seen any photos, but here he, here it indicates he did. So I think that's that's good. That's, you know, photos can be fake, but it's still better to see photos than not to see photos. And he's apparently seen documents. And this is what he provided that's still classified to the inspector general's office. And so it's possible that that some of that material could get reviewed and eventually declassified. Tyler, I can't tell if you're wanting to say something. I I was just going to make a joke about um, the real story here being that he's open to a many worlds interpretation within quantum mechanics, but go ahead. No, I'm good. (laughs) Okay. That that, that maybe raises an eyebrow like, Hmm, but no, uh, just, just, yeah. So, um, I should have mentioned this earlier, but there, so there is a part of the interview where they talk about, uh, the Vatican sort of covering up some, uh, the, 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 they, they've known about the existence of extraterrestrial life for, uh, decades and they've been covering it up. And so we'll, we'll play that clip probably toward the end of this show here. So before we get to that part of the, the interview, let's, uh, let's look at some of the, the other clips here. Uh, this one is, is why he says that the craft are exotic. What can you tell me about these craft, these technologies? Why do you know it's exotic? Uh, based on uh, the very specific properties that I was briefed on, you know, isotopic ratios that would have to be engineered for it to be um, at those levels, but also just extremely uh, uh, strange, heavy atomic metal, you know, high up in the periodic table um, arrangements that um, we don't understand you know what the emergent properties are but there's just a very strange mix of um elements so you're absolutely sure that the materials that these craft are made of are clearly not of this earth yeah they're sophisticatedly engineered um certainly not by humans so this one i'm not as convinced of like what he's what he's saying because so he, he he doesn't really give a clear answer, right? He just mm-hmm. he kind of like fumbles around and tries to give some sort of like answer isotopic ratios and all, like doesn't really sound like he was prepared to answer why he thinks that the what he's seen is is non-human. So I agree that that to me is a red flag. I agree that his answer is a little inarticulate, but it actually is substantively correct. Um, This is something that has been known about for a while. And I actually did an episode of uh, Mysterious World on 
uh, crashed UFO parts. Um, so if you look up Mysterious World UFO crash retrieval or arts parts, um, you'll come up with that episode. But what he's referring to is um, a couple of things. One of them is the ratios of different isotopes in materials that we find. Now, an isotope is an element that has extra or fewer neutrons than normal. So the number of protons that an element has tells you what element it is. Like if it has, if it's element six, it has six protons and that makes it carbon. But it can have a variable number of neutrons and those number, different numbers of neutrons are different isotopes of carbon. That's why you have carbon 12 and carbon 14 for example, and different isotopes have different functions. Like we can use carbon-14, but not carbon-12 for dating things. That's why we have carbon-14 dating. Now, the thing is, when a solar system forms, it forms out of a supernova, you know, out of a big class cloud of gas that's been expelled by a star in its death throes. And then a new star forms and planets form around those stars. And what isotopes you'll have on a given planet will depend, will vary depending on the stellar explosion that the solar system formed out of. So if you go to a different solar system, you're going to find different ratios of isotopes than you will here on Earth. Here on Earth, we have mostly carbon-12, but some carbon-14. If you go to another solar system, you might find, oh, they've got tons of carbon-14 and very little carbon-12. And so one clue that could tell you whether something is from outside of our solar system is does it have different isotope ratios than the materials we have here on Earth? Now, that's not proof because you can artificially engineer any isotope ratio you want, but it's hard to do that. You have to expend energy to re-engineer isotope ratios. And so if you just find something that has weird isotope ratios, that's at least a clue that it's not from here. The other thing he's referring to is metamaterials. Metamaterials are materials that we are currently developing that based on very small microscopic structures in the material, it gives them special properties, uh, either optical or acoustical or electrical. You can use metamaterials to do different things, like create basic invisibility shields that will guide light or some frequency of light around an object. And we're just at the beginning of our study of metamaterials. And one of the things that's come out in uh, some of the analyses of alleged UFO crash materials is that they're actually made of materials. We had them, we had this hunk of what purports to be a UFO for decades, and we've only recently discovered it's got a metamaterial structure that appears to be a waveguide for electrical signals in the terahertz range. And we didn't know how to do this before, but now that we're beginning to understand metamaterial science better, we suddenly realize this thing that allegedly came from a UFO has metamaterial properties that we didn't know how to do back when this was originally recovered. And so that would also be a sign that this is not made by us because we didn't know how to do this. And so that's what he's referring to. I agree he's a little inarticulate in giving the answer, but his answer actually yeah. makes sense on this one. Okay, that's helpful. All right, let's, uh, 
continue unless Tyler, you have anything that you'd want to add there. We can, uh, we can continue. This is, uh, this is beyond my area of expertise. So I will, (laughs) I will bow out of this conversation. All right, let's move on to the clip uh, titled the crash objection. Why are these things crashing? Yeah. You know, some, some are landed, some are crashed. And I think that's an interesting discussion that's come up, you know, as advanced as, you know, we are, you know, as humans, right? You know, planes crash, cars crash. Just because you're some uh, advanced sentience that has advanced technology doesn't mean um, some small percentage of your, I'll use the Air Force term like sorties, um, you know, meet an unfortunate operational conclusion, as, as we might want to say. What are your thoughts on this one, Jimmy? I I think this answer is not the best. I think one of the most serious objections to the idea that we have crashed UFOs is why do we have so many reports of them? Now, common, ordinary people who don't study u- ufology may be aware of the alleged Roswell crash, for example, in 1947. But if you study the UFO literature, it's there's way more than Roswell. There's there's all kinds of different crash reports and it's understandable with humans. OK, we're we're a dinky little species. We're not even a type one civilization yet on the Kardashev scale. And so we build stuff and it crashes. But if you can fling yourself between stars or if you can fling yourself between dimensions, you've got way better tech than us. So why does it crash so often? Mm-hmm. If if all of these crash retrieval reports are accurate. And so I think this is a serious objection to the idea that there have been multiple crashes that we've retrieved. Um, and I don't think he really provides a satisfying answer. Um, I can provide better answers than he did. He just basically said, well, our cars and airplanes crash, so maybe theirs do, too. Yeah, but you're not accounting for the fact they've got way better tech than us if they can travel between stars or travel between dimensions. Um, So I think you need a better explanation. A possible explanation would be they don't value life the way we do. They don't care if it crashes. So they don't put as much effort into passenger safety as we do. But um, that's only a partial answer. I think, I think that the crash, why do they crash so often? Objection still has force. Yeah. Well, so maybe, sorry, go ahead, Cameron. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and like, how fast are they going when they're crashing? Like, um, you know, asteroids can do some pretty horrific things. How big are these ships? How fast are they crashing into, um, our, at- uh, into um, uh, our atmosphere and so forth? Um, but then also, uh, you might think that, well, maybe they're getting shot down, right? Maybe it's uh, our technology is so great, they're just shooting them down. But then it's like, well... <laughs> Um, if, 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 if this is like um, much um, more advanced technology than us, then how are they just kind of getting shot down by, um, you know, uncivilized uh, individuals such as ourselves? And so, yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't think I've heard of a satisfactory um, response to this. But uh, at the same time, notice how he kind of smiles and is like, uh, well, some have landed and some have crashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if kind of maybe almost insinuating, I don't know, that's, that's what I picked up on it. Like, oh, actually, a lot of them are, are landing, not so much crashing, but I'm reading into that a bit. But it, there is kind of some room there to interpret him as, as that's kind of what he was uh, getting at, I think. And and that's fascinating. I find the idea of we got a cra- craft that landed and was then abandoned. 
apparently. Um, and it, I find that fascinating. That would explain why we would have intact UFOs. But I would, I, and again, you could always chalk it up to weird alien psychology. They don't think like us. But why would you land an advanced craft and then abandon it? Um, you know, when we when we land a craft, like during the Osama bin Laden raid where he was killed, you know, we we landed Black Hawk helicopters at this compound at Jalalabad, and one of them was damaged, so we had to abandon it. But we like blew it up first, and I would think they either wouldn't abandon the craft or they would blow up the craft or you no, know, make it make it unusable to us. As President Biden, why if you would uh, blow up all the aircrafts and uh, utility and uh, weapons and so forth? Maybe but, they've got a, maybe they've got a President Biden who just wants to abandon stuff. Sure, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, my my question is though, like why why now? Like if these are uh, kind of humans from another dimension, uh, if they're aliens, you know, like why don't we have more record of our interaction? Um, in you know very, from various other time periods, right? Why all right now? I suppose you could think, well, maybe it's like the establishment of nuclear weapons, and we're a danger now to civilizations or something like that. But besides that, I don't know, Jim. If you have a, a if you know the kind of default answer to this in the UFO UFO community, um, but what, why why all now? There's a division of opinion in the UFO community. There are some who believe that they have been that extraterrestrials or interdimensionals or whatever have been visiting us for thousands of years and may have even uh, had a role in in the creation of the human species. You'll have many UFO books that'll say things like when Ezekiel, and this is false, but you'll have this is the claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when you when you read Ezekiel and he has his throne vision the the whirling wheels are actually ufos and so you'll have these ufos in the bible book ufos in greek and roman stories and so forth in hindu stories and so there are people who will make this claim on the other hand there are other people in the ufo community who say we attracted attention because of our nukes um that's that's what made us a threat it's like in star trek first contact where our development of warp drive is what attracted the attention of the vulcans the argument is in real life, our development of nukes exactly. made us a potential threat that was worthy of war- of watching. Um, and there are other variants as well, but those are the two basic possibilities. So I wanted to build off of something that Braxton Hunter just said in the, the live chat. Uh, his, his YouTube channel is called Trinity Radio. If you guys are interested in go checking him out. Uh, he says, if we have evidence of crashed alien, uh, if we have evidence of crashed alien craft, we have evidence of crashed alien craft. Grush doesn't have to know why they crashed to establish that they crashed. If there's evidence, that was kind of my take on that too. Like to me, the fact that he, that he gave a bad answer to that Mm -hmm. is actually evidence that he's being credible because he doesn't really, he may not know the reason why these aircraft are crashing or, or, landing or whatever like he may not just have any idea of what they are so the fact that he gave a bad answer for that actually kind of lends maybe a little credibility not not a whole lot but Mm -hmm. a little credibility to the story because he could have given a better one like you like you pointed out jimmy so he the fact that he didn't give a really good answer um might actually sort of play in his favor and this goes back to the if he really is just trying to deceive us for some um 
like wouldn't he have wouldn't yeah, yeah wouldn't he have some good worked out response to that objection That's right wouldn't he pass the the body um the body language test wouldn't he have more information about some seemingly obvious uh missing pieces that sort of thing yeah I would agree with Trinity Radio's uh, comment. If we have evidence, if we, if we really have 12 crashed UFOs, then obviously something caused them to crash, even if we don't know what it was. Yeah. Um, but I don't have 12 crashed UFOs. And so I am in a position of I've heard, heard this claim that UFOs crash so frequently, the U.S. alone has 12 of them. Um, well, it naturally raises a question in my mind, since I haven't seen these 12 craft, I haven't been able to examine them. How plausible is this claim? Would advanced tech really crash that often? I agree. If you got them, then okay, you got them. Um, but I don't got them. So I have, I have a question instead. All right, let's move on to another clip where he's responding to more debunkers or some, some more, uh, objections. There's an industry of debunkers out there on the web who say, oh, they've got this all wrong. It's a jet exhaust at a distance and the aircraft's turning. Give me an answer on that. I had some optical engineering experts look at that and the Raytheon AT FLIR system based on the pixel saturation and apparent size. It's certainly something that's not a jet. It might be some kind of natural phenomenon that's quite strange, but it's not uh, as simple as a, a jet. He has even stronger opinions about this UAP, now known to history as the Tic Tac, shot in 2004 in the Pacific by aviators off the USS Nimitz. And the Tic Tac? Truly anomalous. Absolutely uh, technical vehicle, physical, and that's absolutely uh, something that we didn't make. Not of this world. Most likely, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that one? I thought this was a, a good answer. Um, there are a lot of uh, UFO skeptics out there, debunkers, meaning skept not skeptics in the good sense of having an open but critical mind, but skeptics in the sense of I'm going to debunk this no matter what the evidence is. And after and we have the, a lot of those in apologetics, too, we do. <laughs> And after the uh, the three videos were released back in 2017, you had a bunch of these people uh, online commenting, oh, this is just a bird or this is something where the, it's a cloud and the camera is turning and that makes it look like it's accelerating super fast, but it's really not. And I, I thought, you know, they've got a lot of optical expert. Number one, we're seeing only a tiny sliver of the data they recorded of these events. They were seeing these things like the Tic Tac from multiple angles. And they've got a lot of um, optical analysts at in the Defense Department whose job is to read what's coming in on gun camera footage and tell you what you're looking at in in a super precise and professional way um it it i was not have i was not highly persuaded by the claims of skeptics and here grush appeals to the fact that they did analysis of these videos and they ruled out these alternatives that it's not just the camera turning that makes it look like how it's moving we have much better resolution film that has not been released to the public and reveals right. it's not not just a bird um, and the Tic Tac is genuinely unexplainable. And I think that's I think that's accurate. I think the Tic Tac case, because of how it was witnessed by so many different by multiple different pilots 
and tracked on radar and did really bizarre things. I think the Tic Tac is a genuinely unexplainable case at this point. Let's also let's play the the video where he talks about the unreleased videos that that just haven't been declassified to the public. There are many videos that are totally fair to release through um, a declassification process. And I find it um, very concerning from a transparency perspective that all that the department has declassified were those three famous videos. There are more concerning videos that left me with a lot of questions. Yeah. So unless you got anything else on that, I did want to play uh, another clip about the, the government statements sort of doubting the existence of UAP. Yeah, I just would mention we've heard this from other people, including Lou Elizondo, who have been associated with the program, that they've got other much better videos. But the government likes to overclassify. And so we haven't yeah. seen those yet. All right. Uh, yeah, let's play this clip. The problem you've got is there have been categorical denials mm -hmm. from high-level officials in the U.S. government, even presidents, that what you're saying is true. Unfortunately, some elected officials were not brought in. Only a few weeks ago, 19th of April, the head of the Pentagon's UAP investigations program, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, mm -hmm. told Congress, Arrow, that's the Pentagon's UFO yeah. investigation body, has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, mm -hmm. or objects that defy the known laws of physics. While a large number of cases in our holdings remain technically unresolved, this is primarily due to a lack of data associated with those cases. Was that a lie? Well, I know Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. I've known him for about eight years. And, you know, I expressed some concerns to Dr. Kirkpatrick about a year ago and told him, when I was starting to uncover and he didn't follow up with me and he has my phone number. He could have called me. I hope he ultimately does the right thing. He should be able to make the same um, investigative discoveries I did. It, it, it's totally crazy if he doesn't. Yeah. So he gives the same kind of answer that we gave about Trump earlier is that some elected officials are not brought in. And I, I mean, I think that's a reasonable explanation now the other one that was that was interesting where he says the the what is the i'm so bad with like titles and names the guy who he just mentioned who dr, uh, dr. kirkpatrick who's head of the current ufo task force which is now known as a a r o all all domain anomaly resolution office um, that's the current version of the task force. Dr. Kirkpatrick is the head of that. And he did go before Congress and say, we don't have any credible evidence of alien activity. But that's standard bureaucraties for we don't have proof of aliens, because if he came out and said, we have credible evidence of aliens, the press would scream, aliens proved, government admits. Yeah, and he doesn't want that to happen. So he's he's going to be a super conservative in what he says. And he acknowledges we've got some things that are still anomalous that we can't resolve because we don't have the data to resolve them. And it would be in that if there is alien stuff going on, that would be the category it would fall into. And so then so, the question would be, how much does that statement conflict with his with Grush's story? Right. Or with his claims? Like how much counter evidence does that provide again? And what you're, what you're kind of saying is that like his statement was generic enough 
where it could be interpreted multiple different ways. And so it could actually be strictly compatible with everything that, that Gresh is saying is that depending on exactly how you define the term credible evidence, it could be that everything that Gresh has said so far is in terms of like testimony and the classified documents that he's read, like all of that could count as evidence, but it wouldn't be credible evidence. It wouldn't be, like you said, proof. And missing data as well. Like, what does he mean by missing data? <laughs> does he mean like um, there's some missing pieces in our in our, our complete picture of science today <laughs> that if we had, we'd be able to figure out how we'd be able to rule this out, you know? Yeah, I, I think there are a number of possibilities because Grush says that he presented information to Kirkpatrick for Kirkpatrick to follow up with, and he didn't. Um, that could mean Kirkpatrick was already aware of this information and had looked into it and concluded that it was not credible. It could mean that he received Grush's information and, and did follow it up, but without telling Grush. It could mean that he just got busy and hadn't done it yet, hadn't done the follow-up yet. And it could mean that he'll one day look into it and become convinced like Grush. So I don't think, I think Kirkpatrick's statement can be read multiple ways, some of which would be compatible with uh, with Grush's claims, some of which would not be, like if he looked into it and said, oh, I looked into this and it was all nonsense. Well, that would conflict conflict with Grish's claims because then we'd have two people who looked at the same evidence and had different opinions about it, which would at least partially undermine Grish's claim. But it need not do that. So I don't think we can really make an assessment based on that. So let's play the clip on whether or not the ETIs are hostile. There is a non-human species and it's incredibly benevolently well disposed to the human race. Yeah, and and I think that is a the logical fallacy there is because they're advanced, they're kind. We'll never really understand um, full intent in that because we're we're not them, whatever them is or are. Uh, but I think what appears to be malevolent activity has has happened based on not only uh, nuclear site probing activities, um, witness testimony. I think at least if we look at it through a humanistic lens, um, it does appear negative, at least uh, to us. I've been told that there have been attempts to bring down craft, that we've acted offensively against non-human craft. There have been instances and there are uh, certain techniques. Have human beings been hurt or killed by a non-human intelligence? While I can't get into the specifics because that would reveal uh, certain U.S. classified uh, operations, uh, I was briefed by a few individuals on the program that there were um, malevolent events like that. Now I'm scared. Mm. People have just heard you say non-humans may well have murdered human beings. That seems to be the case at one point, yeah. What is the... One thing that I want to tie and talk about is the relationship that a lot of Christians have. They'll they'll say a lot lot of times that aliens are demons. And Mm -hmm. so... Uh, in terms of like malevolence and someone who is trying to to hurt humans and everything, uh, that that's one topic that I want to address uh, before we turn to the next clip. But Jimmy, what are your thoughts before we turn to that subject? 
Well, on the alien demon hypothesis, uh, okay, demons can assume physical form just like angels can, but you need evidence uh, that you can't just cry demon because something is strange or scary. Um, If a murderer breaks into your house and kills a member of your family, okay, that was scary and that was horrible, but you can't just say, oh, that murderer must have been a demon. Not if he appeared to be a human. And so you can't just infer something bad happened here to it must be a demon. Um, You need evidence of that. And so if the murderer came in and killed a member of your family and then told you to worship other gods and vanished in a puff of smoke. okay, well, I'd say you've got evidence a demon broke into your home. But um, but we don't have that happening here. Um, it, these things look at least appear to be flying physical craft like the Tic Tac. Um, they re- have radar returns. Uh, they seem to have physical bodies. If the reports are accurate, um, we should presume that they're what they appear to be biological entities. Um, it could be they're demons in disguise, but you need evidence for that. And just because we're scared, that's not evidence of a demon. So. Um, so I would I, I I'm open to the demon hypothesis, but I need to see evidence. And thus far, I don't. Tyler. Tyler, I'm sure you have a whole lot of thoughts on this. I want to just I want to say something real quickly about like why I think that Christians are so quick okay. to to come to that conclusion. I think what's happening is Christians, what they do is they they look at their explanatory resources when they come across something that is sort of unexplained. They say, okay, what what are my resources to to draw on? Same goes with like any, anyone in any worldview. What what can I draw on? Like a, a naturalist is going to appeal right. to uh, the, their resources, right? And their their resources are, are only natural things. And so, uh, but a Christian, their res- part of their explanatory resources are the right. sort of spiritual realm, the de- demon realm. And so, uh, th- they're going to say, okay, if something is unexplained, well, there's one thing that I could use in in my worldview that could explain that, and and that's demons. And so uh, it's sort of an, an easy explanatory resource that uh, that Christians can appeal to or Christians often appeal to. Uh, but what Jimmy was was just pointing out right here is that there's there's you're going to run up against some some issues when you start to posit demons in the case of like there's this physical crafts or these physical beings. So what are you what are you going to do with with that? And and it's not just that you can posit it, it's that that you've got to give some sort of reason to think that in this particular case you've got some embodied demonic agent you know as opposed to uh you can have the hypothesis but then do you have any additional reason to think that that hypothesis is is true in that case but um i think that's to kind of summarize where i'm trying to the explanatory resources thing i think is Mm -hmm. kind of what what is happening with the the christians that use that hypothesis so, so I, I can see why the appeal to aliens occurs, um, given to, what to demons. Here. Yes, yes. Sorry, uh, the appeal to demons to explain aliens occurs. Uh, you're working within a, a worldview. You think that um, maybe even you think that like the Christian scriptures are like formally sufficient, <laughs> and you can use them to explain absolutely everything. And it's like, well, demons. But it's so passionate. Um, I, I, so, you know, when Chad and I published this paper that I was talking about earlier, 
um, like we got a lot of pushback about no aliens are just demons, like very passionate pushback. And you know, both Chad and I were like, why is everyone so passionate about claiming that these are, it wasn't just that they were claiming aliens were demons, but it was just the passion that they had in order to, to explain that when, you know, following what, what, what you're saying, um, you know, if, if the reports are true, right. If there really are these, these vehicles that are otherworldly, so to speak, um, then if, if it appears like they're not demons, then <laughs> you're justified in thinking that, you know, they're not demons. Or if it appeals like an alien, uh, you know, you're justified yeah. thinking that it's an alien. Uh, of course, that all rests on the, the, these, these testimonies and videos and so forth are all accurate. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure why there's so much passion for the, the demon hypothesis. There and the demon hypothesis gets used for a lot of things besides UFOs. Anytime, I mean, I do a show on the covers mysteries, and there are all kinds of mysteries where people want to leap to the conclusion it's demons. In fact, we have a tongue-in-cheek saying on the show, it's always demons, because people <laughs> all, always want to propose that. And I took that on in an episode uh where I talked about what you really need in order to diagnose demons. Um, and the dangers of overdiagnosing or falsely diagnosing demons, because uh, just to give a, a simple illustration, people have died. People have died because people falsely diagnosed them as having demons. Mm -hmm. um, I start actually start the episode with multiple accounts from like just the last couple of years in the press where people thought their misbehaving child was possessed and they did a home exorcism and they botched it and the child died. And this happens over and over again. So there are really serious consequences at times to over diagnosing demons. If people want to check it out, it's episode 188. You can go get to it by going to mysterious.fm slash 188. But I talk about the dangers of overdiagnosing demons and then what you really need to do if you're going to diagnose a demon but it, it is similar to like the um you know oh the age the earth just looks a certain age right it looks uh billions of years old because um you know it's it's, it's to deceive us or to test us and it's like this similar it's like the alien are the demons they want to make us believe something false right so they're making it look like aliens exist but really it, it's just demons um you know messing us mess, trying to test our faith you know that, that sort of thing i think i think that there is some parallel there yeah well then they're yeah, not I was doing gonna... a really they're not doing a really good job with me because i still believe in god even though i'm <laughs> open to the alien hypothesis yeah. right the, so the, the, i was gonna mention no go ahead tyler i was just gonna say wasn't it interesting when he said like if you caught it um he said something like um at least at one time. Yes. In reference to, to killing as if now maybe there's been some peace <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's been going on or something like that. Yeah. So I yeah, want to thank, time. thank you for bringing that up. Cause I wanted to comment on, on what Grush actually said, um, you know, because he didn't bring up demons. Um, that was something we discussed, but he did say that there is some evidence of hostility on the part of the aliens. And I think that's an intrinsically, Prima facie, that's a plausible claim, because if they're able to get here from another star system or from another dimension, they're smart. And one of the things about intelligence is 
it um, it tends to occur in carnivores because if you're a carnivore, you have to be smarter than the prey animal you're going after. That's why lions are more intelligent than zebras and why wolves are more intelligent than bunny rabbits. If you're a prey animal, your survival strategy frequently is just be hidden or run away. But if you're a carnivore, you have to defeat your prey's um, defenses. You have to be able to spot hidden things. And if it's if it's got prickles all over it, you've got to like a porcupine, you got to defeat those prickles. And or if it's a turtle, you got to defeat that shell it's got. And so uh, carnivores, because they're designed to enter into battle and defeat other creatures to be able to survive. They're smarter. They breed for intelligence. Intelligence is usually associated with some kind of complex intellectual situation that has survival stakes. And so if um, intelligent beings exist elsewhere, then like us, they are likely to either be carnivores or omnivores. And so that would mean they if they have a carnivore or omnivore background like we do, then they're and they're smart for that reason, then they're not going to be based on hiding and running away from stuff. They're going to be okay with with killing stuff just like we are. And so they might even be more aggressive than we are. If that were the case, and if they were here, I then have a question of why haven't they just stomped us? You know, they could take us over. They could. They're apparently very patient. But if they're if they're here, they're they're and they have hostile intents. They've got a long game, or they just don't have hostile intent. But given the evolutionary background you would express you would expect an intelligent alien to have it would include the ability and willingness to kill and so it wouldn't surprise me that in some situations if you've got a human who's causing enough problems you might end up in a conflict with him and the human might die so that wouldn't surprise me what i did find heartening was grush only knew of one instance where this apparently happened i'd say if if they've been here for 90 years like grush says and only one human has died we're doing pretty good <laughs> yeah i was going to i was going to pull up this comment from uh, internet enjoyer this is actually a pretty good pretty good username uh why are aliens coming all the way from other galaxies just to mutilate cattle it makes no sense <laughs> Okay, uh, so the UFO community would have a couple of responses there. One of them is they're doing a scientific study. Um, And mm -hmm. so they have some kind of scientific program, and that's why they're looking at humans and at other terrestrial animals like cattle, just like we use model laboratory organisms like monkeys and rabbits and mice and and things like that. Um, They're doing some kind of study of Earth, and that would include different life forms. The other response that you'll get from some people is it isn't the aliens who are doing the cattle mutilation it's the government the government is is doing cattle mutilation possibly to cover up secret nuclear or biological testing that they have done and they're using the cattle they're they're studying these cattle as a way of measuring the effects of the uh testing that they've been doing nuclear or biologically 
So there was one thing I wanted to talk about when we were discussing the parallels between demons and, and aliens was mm-hmm. uh, the subject got brought up about how demons can be uh, misdiagnosed and how problematic mm-hmm. that can be and, and harmful that can be. And I've had the opportunity to to interview several exorcists at this point on capturing Christianity. If you're interested, those are some of our most popular videos on our channel. So we've interviewed uh, experts in exorcisms. I've interviewed, uh, I believe, two, at least two separate exorcists uh, and then two other experts that have worked in exorcisms. So and and each of them have said that when it comes to actually diagnosing someone with a demon, someone who comes to them, I believe it was Father Vincent Lampert that said that only one in 5,000 cases is actually demon-possessed, according to, you know, his his criteria. And uh, what's interesting about that is it's not like one in 5,000 people. One in 5,000 cases. So he he has a lot of people that come to him. This would be like a, a case, someone who thinks that they might be possessed or someone along those lines, which is going to already be a very tiny part of the population. Someone who thinks that they're possessed is very small amount of people are, are thinking that. So out of those people, only one in 5,000 actually end up according to, to him and these, these exorcists, that's about the statistic that you're looking at. So in the vast majority of cases, it's a mental health issue. Something else is going on. Maybe some sort of domestic abuse issue. Some usually a mental issue is, is going on with the, the individual. So I, I thought that was important to, to point out. Do you and have any thoughts con- on that before we move on? Yeah, that's consistent with with uh, the study that I've done in this area and experts I've talked to. I've talked to experts who've said, you know, in a city of millions of people like New York City, maybe at any one time there are like between two and 20 people who are who are actually possessed. So there's you hear a lot more about this and what the evidence actually warrants in terms of how prevalent it is. The epidemiology on full blown demon possession is is indicates that it's it's quite rare. There can be other lower level forms of demonic activity like garden variety temptation. But, you know, that's and even that's not always demons. The the world and the flesh can also contribute to temptation. Um but actual full-blown cases of, you know, manifest demonic activity are quite rare, but they do happen. So, Jimmy, are there any other clips that you think are worth uh, addressing and, and playing before we get to the Vatican clip? Um, one that is interesting is clip 18 on a possible whether there's a UF alien, U.S. alien alliance. Also, right, clip we'll ni- 19 is also useful. Grush has written an internal document about his discoveries that refers to agreements that risk putting our future in jeopardy. It is quite clear that you're talking about agreements between America and non-human intelligences. Have we made agreements with non-human intelligences? That's the kind of information I really hope national leadership is able to get to the bottom of. I need to pin you down on this. Are there agreements between non-human intelligences and the American government? I think that's a question that I would like to know all the details of as well. So this is a claim that has been around in the UFO community for a long time. It was part of the MJ-12 or Majestic 12 documents that said 
as far back as President Eisenhower, we effectively negotiated a treaty with the ETs. And according to some um, individuals, the aliens haven't been great about honoring the treaty. According to some stories, the U.S. agreed to let aliens abduct people in exchange for technology. And the aliens, uh, you know, apparently said they were only going to be going to be doing a limited number of abductions as part of their scientific study program. And then they went crazy and started abducting millions of people. Um, So those are some of the stories that are out there. And it's interesting to me that it's coming up in what in what Grush has been told. He's apparently been told that there is some kind of agreement between the U.S. government and aliens. And um, and he but he doesn't claim to know that for a fact. He says he thinks that needs to be investigated. He'd like to learn more about it. Yeah. That sounds very implausible to me on the face of it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I uh, it does. And it's also linked to the MJ-12 documents, which by the by the reckoning of most credible ufologists are just fake. Yeah. All right. So crime and murder is the next one. Yeah, that was also people have been, interesting. People have been sort of silenced uh, for, for trying to come out with this information. Can I put it to you that crimes must have been committed? At the very least, I saw substantive evidence that white collar crime was committed. Have people been killed to protect the secret? Uh, based on the people I talked to, uh, that was an ongoing uh, concern. Yeah, unfortunately, I've heard some really un-American things I don't want to repeat right now. So you have a strong suspicion that people have been murdered to protect the Over secret. the years, yeah. These stories are out there, too. Now, when he says white collar crime has he has evidence of white collar crime, that would be the evading congressional oversight. So he thinks he's found this program. Despite what has been ordered, it has not reported its information to the UFO task force. And so it's evading congressional oversight. And that would be Mm -hmm. white collar crime. But he's heard about cases where someone who knew too much may have gotten killed by government agents or, you know, someone working on behalf of the government. And those stories have been out there. There have, for example, been ufologists who have died under mysterious circumstances or who vanished and no one ever learned what happened to them. Um, He doesn't claim it doesn't seem to me that he claims to have proof of that having happened. Uh, But the government does sometimes off people in its own interests. Um, you know, that um, that has happened in American history. There have been cases like the uh, army scientist who was working for the CIA, Frank Olson. He knew too much about some classified programs. He had a crisis of conscience. He was going to go public. And the best evidence indicates that he was deliberately pushed out of a window in New York City to kill him. And he's not the only person like that. So it's possible that something similar may have happened in this area. And if so, whoever did it needs to be prosecuted. It's also possible that this is just a rumor and there's no actual substance to the murder part of it. Or it's all part of the, 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 psy- the psychops, you know? Yeah. He's a sincere okay. believer. He's sincerely thinking all this is the case, but he's being fed bad information. 
So I'd like to play one last clip before we get to the Vatican, and that is uh, what, what Grush doesn't have. Let's play that one, and then we'll get to the Vatican. Let's talk about what Dave Grush doesn't have. He doesn't have smoking gun documents or photos. He doesn't have official confirmation of his claims. He's just a guy talking on camera, and a lot of his answers to our most pointed questions sound like this. Can you comment? Unfortunately, I cannot. Yeah, so I think that actually this this kind of speaks to news. Uh, I, I had to look into like who are News Nation? What are, it's not CNN, it's not Fox News. Who are these people? Um, I didn't look too deeply, but I saw at least that their claim is that they're unbiased. They're trying to be as objective mm-hmm. as possible with relaying the information and the news that they're presenting. So, and I did get that sense in this interview. Like I felt like the interview, the interviewer, uh, I, I forget his name, as I forget everyone's name. I can't remember his. Uh, he 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 seemed to be convinced uh, about everything that not everything, but but he seemed to be convinced by Grush. So, um, sorry, I just completely lost my my train of thought. Oh yeah, News Nation. So they seem to be objective, and I think that this part of the uh, the interview kind of shows that they're trying to be objective, like they're trying to to remember that what they have, they really have just the testimony from from Grush, and so. What they would like to have, I think what a lot of people would like to have is give us like something, something more. And it's not, again, it's not that that testimony in itself is, is something that's insufficient to, to warrant belief or anything like that. It's more that when we have an initial piece of testimony that might conflict with some background knowledge that we have, then we've got to get to the point, like Jimmy was saying earlier, you've got to test it. You got to look deeper into it. If you have multiple different, uh, suppose that, you know, Grush is just the first of many different people who come forward with uh, this sort of information that's going to sort of stack the deck. That's going to be more evidence. And so what we don't have is uh, what we'd like to have. We'd like to have more evidence. Some people might think that just watching this interview alone is enough to convince them. Uh, But for people like us, we just we want a little bit more. Jimmy, any thoughts? Yeah, I think when they say that what he doesn't have is photos or documents, I think they mean what he can publicly share. Right. Uh, Because he he said he had seen photos and had seen documents that he turned over to the inspector general. And so I but they're right in terms of what he can publicly share. He doesn't have those right now. And he's not able because of classifications to go into a lot of detail in various areas, which doesn't mean at all that what he's saying is false. But it does mean that we don't have supporting evidence for what he's Mm -hmm. saying that we would very much like to have. Yeah, and what comes to mind is kind of um, independent testimony givers. And then obviously we're not going to have access to it, but, uh, you know, independent testimony. Uh, testimonial claims uh, would be great as well. Um, and if we could find that, you know, the sources aren't the same, <laughs> there would be some justification, even if the sources are the same, because it seems like then, then we'd have more evidence to suggest that there is something going on here. Um, but even if you could somehow um, verify it through independent sources, that that's ultimately would be in you know, a much better shape, which again, if you're going back thinking about the Gospels, right? Uh, you might be thinking about independent sources. You might be thinking about um, disciples dying, to, you know, believing what they believe so much to the point of death. Um, obviously, the, this situation is not analogous. You know, I'm just imagining <laughs> certain yeah. 
internet atheist uh, apologists making uh, videos in response to what you're doing here today and tr- trying to undercut <laughs> already some of the strategy that, that might be planned. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the part of the interview that um, has generated quite a bit of interest. I've seen a couple posts on uh, on Reddit about this particular part of the interview where he says that the Vatican has known about extraterrestrial life since, uh, what was it? 1940s or somewhere around 1933. 1933. They covered it up. They handed over their uh, uh, craft to the U S and they've been covering it up ever since. And uh, this is not the first time the Vatican has been accused of covering up information. (laughs) So um, when this part of the interview came up, I immediately became skeptical. I immediately was like, okay, this is this is where it lost me for sure. (laughs) Yeah, this is get like I mean, everyone wants to find some conspiracy in the the Catholic Church. So, but let's let's play the clip and then we'll we'll give some analysis of it. Here we go. You say it's a ninety-year cover-up. Just about, yeah. 90 years. 1933 was the first recovery in Europe, in uh, Magenta, Italy. They recovered a, a partially intact vehicle. It's long been known that the regime of dictator Benito Mussolini documented numerous UAP during this time. This internal memo from the Italian Secret Services includes crude drawings of the UAPs. It's true. It's real. Yeah, that actually happened. The Italian government moved it to a secure uh, air base in Italy for the, the rest of kind of the fascist regime until 1944, 1945. And, you know, the uh, Pope Pius XII back-channeled that. So the Vatican um, was involved. Yeah, and told the Americans what the Italians had, and, and we ended up scooping it. So let me be very clear about this. You're saying that the Catholic Church, the Vatican, mm-hmm. they know about the existence of non-human intelligence on this planet. Certainly. He says that so matter-of-factly. Yeah. So this, the claim that the Vatican knows about extraterrestrials it really exists is a claim that you have, crops up with some frequency in the UFO community, usually not in connection with this story. Um, instead, what will happen is Pope Francis will give a, a homily where he says, oh, I, could you baptize an alien? Let's just think about that for a minute. And that'll get trumpeted as, Vatican has proof aliens exist. And he just he just raised a question or you'll have someone who works at the Vatican observatory because the Vatican does have astronomers that work in an an observatory. Many of them are Jesuits. Um, Someone who works at the Vatican observatory will give an interview and the interviewer will say, so would the church have a problem with it if aliens exist? And the astronomer will say, no, it wouldn't. And that'll get trumpeted as Vatican has proof aliens exist. And In fact, I saw I saw a post from someone on Reddit. They they put like four pictures of uh, together of like mm-hmm. um, rays coming down from heaven, like sun rays or like coming down, you know, from, from heaven, mm-hmm. like the sun. And like this is proof that that Christians have known about UFOs for all this time. Yeah. So, like and that so was recently after <laughs> like like a day ago like that was posted. Yeah. So, I, so to be th- fair, people in the comments were saying that this is this is ridiculous, but anyways. Yeah. There there is a significant lack of critical thinking on this area when in this area 
when it comes to the Vatican and what it does or doesn't know. Um, I am a, a something of a Vaticanologist. I mean, I study the Vatican and how it works, and I have yet to see any evidence that would suggest that the Vatican has any kind of serious evidence or proof that goes beyond what's just publicly known. Um, it seems to me the Vatican's just responding to ideas that are out there in our culture. Like when you get asked in an interview, would you have a problem if there are aliens and you say no? Or when Pope Francis, who is pretty freewheeling in his preaching, just starts wondering, well, could you do this? Um, when it comes to this particular story that Grush cited here, this is this is it, it is out there. In the UFO literature, it is not a major story. Um, you don't hear this from a lot of sources. It's not like Roswell or some of the other encounters. But the claim is that in 1933, a UFO crashed in Italy in Magenta, and Mussolini got a hold of it. And the he also, according to various accounts, told Pope Pius XI about it. And then he stored it in a, a facility in Italy. Study was done on it. There are claims it may have influenced Italian aircraft design of the time. Then World War II starts. And eventually, you know, Germany basically takes over Italy. And according it towards the end of the war, you know, Mussolini gets executed and Hitler takes over. Um, and what happens to the alleged UFO then varies depending on the account. According to some accounts, it gets taken to Germany. And also German aerospace engineers allegedly may have studied it and used it to come up with some Nazi prototype airplane designs or even actual prototype models. Um, but then according to Gresh's version of the story, um, at the end of the war, Pope Pius XII lets American forces know about this, and we are able to scoop it up. Um, okay, so what's the evidence for this account? Well, the story doesn't appear until the 1990s. So this is, you know, after 1933, this is like 60 years later when this story first appears. It first appears in the Italian press, and then it it's eventually spills over a little bit into the American UFO, ufological community. And the Italian writers who are writing about this are saying, this is going to completely rewrite ufological history. Up to now, it's been the United States that first interacted with, with UFOs, but now Italy has is the first to interact with UFOs in this way. And there's a kind of national pride element. And this is something you always got to be careful of in ufology, because one of the things that happens is someone will come along and make an interesting claim. And then there's a tendency within a few years for someone else to come along and try to one up them by making an even more dramatic claim. And one of the ways that manifests is, in the 50s and 60s, there were a group of people who claimed to be in contact with UFOs. They were called contactees. The most famous was a man named George Adamski. And so Adamski comes out with his story of here's how I got to be a contactee. The aliens are talking through me. I'm their ambassador. And then a few years later, someone else comes up with, oh, I'm a contactee, too. And the aliens have been talking to me longer than they were talking to mm -hmm. George Adamski. So you really want to hear what I have to say. 
And this one-upsmanship would happen. And this feels a little bit like one-upsmanship. Also, allegedly in this story, if you read about it, Mussolini allegedly set up a study group called RS-33, Cabinet RS-33, which included uh, Marconi, the radio pioneer, as the head of it, and various other scientists who are all conveniently dead and can't be interviewed about this. And it really plays like a replay of the American MJ-12 documents that had come out just a few years before. The parallels are exact. UFO crashes, head of state, Mussolini or Dwight Eisenhower or Harry Truman creates this special panel of experts to look into it. It gets housed in a warehouse. It sounds very much like the MJ-12 documents that had just come out and the documents that are provided, like the ones they were looking at with the little drawing of, of possible UFOs on them. These were not found in Italian government archives. They were mailed anonymously to UFO researchers by a Mr. X. That's how he's referred to in the literature. All of the key players are conveniently dead. And um, it really feels like an Italian replay of the fake American MJ-12 documents. So given the implausibility of the story itself, I don't have a high degree of confidence in this one. What do you all think? Yeah, um, my my thought is it, it seems really implausible to me mm-hmm. on, on the face of it again, like I said. Um, but what what impact does that have? Suppose that's true. What impact does that have on his credibility as a witness for literally anything else that he's saying? Mm -hmm. Like, does this discredit, if you think that this is false, do you think that that discredits him more generally? I don't think it does completely. I think what it would do is provide evidence that he made a mistake and he thus may have made other mistakes too, but it doesn't prove he did. Yeah. I, um, Again, I, I still think the guy is, seems sincere and, and, and is sincere and so forth. Um, but this this did it for me. I mean, I imagine, at least from my perspective, um, you know, the Vatican knows with certainty uh, that aliens exist. I think you'd see a lot more in astrobi- uh, uh, astrobiology and Christian belief and development of um, extraterrestrial theology. Um, than what you see and concerned with, right? Um, you know, it's it's we have some yeah. comments from I think maybe JP two. We have obviously some comments from Francis and different sermons. I think there would probably be you know more concern, even if the Vatican was was keen on kind of keeping it on the DL. I think uh, that uh, we we still see see more development in this this area than than what we do. Uh, have and so yeah, I, I was I was immediately inclined not to, and I, all all kind of conspiracy theories oftentimes invoke the Vatican. It's like ah yes, how original, but um, yeah, I, so I, I, it did make me more um, more skeptical. Again, not wholeheartedly. Not this guy is just making stuff up as he goes. Um, I still think he means well. Um, I'm I'm open to the fact that maybe he has been fed. Um, wrong information. Um, I'm, open, I'm I'm kind of I guess more inclined to think that that's actually the case. Um, but yeah, this 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 story did kind of um, make my confidence level and and everything uh, shoot down a bit. 
Yeah. One, one other thing I was thinking about is what would the implication actually be? Suppose that he's right. Suppose that yeah. the Vatican has been covering this up and they've been, um, I don't, I don't know that that cover up would be the, the right term to use here, but suppose that they've known about it. Suppose that they just haven't yeah. told anyone. Okay. What, what would the implication then be? Seems to me like not much is implied by that. Maybe there's some good reason to keep it private, you know? Uh, yeah, just because also, you have information doesn't mean that you're obliged to reveal that information to the masses. Right. But it's not lying. It's not, yeah. it's, not a, it's not like they've been lying to the public for the last, you know, so many decades. Um, the last seven or eight decades. It, it, it would just be they, they may be encouraged by various governments or maybe their own theologians have encouraged them um, to, to keep quiet about this. But again, you still, I think, would expect probably more information being leaked and having been uh, leaked from the Vatican, right? Uh, I know a lot of professional theologians. Um, I'm, I don't think any of them uh, know or they, they, they haven't been in relationships yeah. with other theologians where they've gotten leaked to this information. Um, I mean, it, w- it would be a really, really good job. I mean, uh, as Jimmy knows, the Vatican uh, has its history of uh, leaking information and scandals, but nothing of this has, you know, come about. Like, it does seem a bit, uh, as my kids would say, sus. Yeah. <laughs> also, if the Vatican did know for sure that aliens existed, I would expect, even if they weren't going to announce that right now, I would expect more of a pastoral plan of yeah. of getting the faithful worldwide ready. Um, that I would expect this to be cropping up in many more documents at a higher level than just interviews with a Vatican astronomer that very few people ever read or a homily that Pope Francis gave that a few thousand people saw online. Um, I would expect it showing up in at least mentions of it showing up in major documents that have a wider readership like encyclicals uh, as a way of getting people used to the idea. But I don't see that happening. I can see someone objecting to to this, what we've sort of been saying so far is in saying that like, okay, we're, we're being super skeptical. We're all Christians here. We want to defend the Christian church. And so we're, we're being uh, skeptical when it comes to something that's, that's supposedly bad about the the Catholic Church, but uh, isn't that what we would expect uh, a Christian to do? Like, wouldn't we just expect a Christian to be more skeptical when it comes to this? But then, but then when it comes oh. to like aliens, you're just suddenly all credi- credi- uh, credulous and everything. Like, um, it, I can see oh, someone I, an atheist I, agnostic like uh, coming would, away with I that would, impression. I would say the atheist or agnostic should hang out with actual Catholics more because you will hear lots of criticism of things happening in the church, Um, whether it's liturgy or sexual abuse or, you know, this pope's doing too much in this direction or he's doing not enough in that direction. There is tons of internal analysis and criticism that happens in Catholic circles. But um, so if 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 you had a group of people who um, had serious evidence that the church had proof of extraterrestrial intelligence, there there would be a, a sizable body of Catholics who would be willing to champion that and say in the Vatican cover up of ETs now, just like you had a massive group of Catholics saying 
end the cover up of the third secret of Fatima now mm-hmm. um, because aliens are pretty darn interesting. And so um, it's not for lack of interest or desire to protect the church. It's just I don't see the evidence on this one. Yeah. And, and, and I will say again, kind of to your earlier point, Cameron, um, there's nothing that hangs on the truth of this in reference to Christian belief, right, or Catholic belief. Um, if it turns out that, uh, you know, the Vatican has known uh, about this for some time, uh, again, they weren't lying. But even if they were lying, that still, that still doesn't, you know, affect um, uh, infallibility of the church or I mean, it might hurt its reputation or something like that. But doctrinal claims, I, I can't see it being too relevant for that. Okay, so uh, we're we're gonna wrap up the stream soon, but we have had some super chats come in, and uh, some of the inter- some of the comments and, and questions have been uh, pretty interesting. Do you guys want to hang yeah. around a little bit and, and answer some of these? So sure. first of all, we've got a uh, a comment uh, that I saw just randomly from a guy named Ninety Days. I'm listening to a Christian podcast about aliens and demons as an agnostic person. I didn't expect I would be listening to something like this and enjoy it. I thought that was really cool. So, uh, yeah. 90 days. Yeah, please. Uh, well, thanks for, for hanging out today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for letting us know that you've enjoyed, uh, the episode today. I did want to say like, if you're, if this topic interests you, um, first of all, I'd like to do more and I plan to have Jimmy back on to, to do some more, episodes on this topic and the crossover between ETIs and apologetics like that hasn't really been explored. And so I'm really excited to, to get more into that with, with Jimmy and some other people. It doesn't have to just be Jimmy or Tyler. We can, we can talk to, uh, to others, but um, if you're interested in demons, like I mentioned earlier, I do have some interviews with exorcists and people who have worked closely with exorcists like Adam Bly and Dr. Richard Gallagher. So uh, the Richard Gallagher interview in particular is really, really interesting. So uh, go check out some of our other videos if you're interested in demons. So, uh, yeah, and thanks uh, once again for for hanging out. All right, let's get to some soup. I was about to say super chats, super chats. This one from uh, Jean Rousses. He's been sending in uh, a bunch. He says, funnily enough, aliens only crash in the U.S. and couldn't care less about the rest of the planet. Or maybe Americans are a little too egocentric. So um, the there are reports of aliens crashing elsewhere in the world. Um, are, I mean, isn't the re- first one that we that he mentioned in Italy? Well, right. there's that, but that's a fairly little known one. There's another one that reportedly crashed in Brazil. There have been reported crashes in the Soviet Union. We tend to hear about the American ones because we're here in America. And it's easier for Americans to report on things that are here in America, where you can take a camera crew to here. We're standing in Roswell, New Mexico. Let's talk about the alien crash. And also you can interview people who already speak English and you speak English. And that makes it a lot easier to report on American ones. Uh, It's harder for American sources to report on things in distant places where people speak different languages. And so you don't hear them about them as much, but they do get reported. Yeah. And I uh, saw, so I lived in China for a few years mm-hmm. um, and there, there have been reports of like really weird objects, you know, uh, uh, floating around in, in the uh, Chinese area of the world. So um, it's, it's not something that uh, that's just in reference to America. I think, I think you're just hearing, 
um, uh, about it, uh, all these sort of American instance, instances for similar reasons that Jimmy mentions. Yeah, I didn't know you no. lived in China. That's cool. Ni hao ma? <laughs> oh, well, I, so I, like, I lived in um, Macau, so we, we, it was Cantonese mm. uh, rather than Mandarin. But Okay. Uh, yeah. I haven't studied Cantonese yet. Shei <laughs> <laughs> Shei so, uh, one thing I was going to mention is that I've seen like infographics of UFO reports and like they, they like light up as like little dots, like little red mm-hmm. dots on the map. And, um, if you look at the map, it's like the U S is just filled with it. Like just yeah. like red, the whole thing is red. And then there's just like dots in the rest of the world. So there, there is definitely something going on. Like there's more, interest in ufos and more reports maybe more false reports that happen in uh, because we signed in, in the US. with the aliens i mean that's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of it is um is artifactual in terms of reporting because Americans are very good at setting up reporting systems. We have like national UFO hotlines where you can and websites where you can call and file reports and they funnel and national organizations that study UFOs like MUFON and so forth. And so we have very good reporting systems that's going to elevate the number of reports you get in America compared to other parts of the world where they may not have the UFO infrastructure to uh, to do the same kind of reporting. Also, we have something else in America that I think drives a lot of the UFO reports, which is the American defense industry. <laughs> like I like I said, lots of UFO reports from the 50s and 60s were classified military tech that people were seeing in the sky. And because we do so much R&D on our on our weapon systems as the globe globe's currently dominant military power. Um, we're going to have more reports of people spotting the tech while it's in development as a result. Though, though just to kind of play devil's advocate here. Um, so again, earlier at the, the beginning of the interview, I said that um, I was inclined to believe that, um, that, that uh, aliens exist, but I was also inclined to think that we hadn't have, uh, we haven't had contact with them. Right. But let's su- suppose that we have, <laughs> let's imagine that we have for a second. Um, if, the reason uh, that you know, sort of they took an interest in human uh, humans uh, on Earth was because of nuclear weapons and uh, mm-hmm. you know powerful weapons of mass destruction, so to speak. I guess on that hypothesis, it wouldn't be too surprising that they had a vested interest in America, or perhaps uh, an interest in America and kind of maybe uh, USSR, Russia, or or China. Uh, that would seem mm-hmm. to that they would be more interested in these countries than, you know, a nonviolent country, <laughs> a country that's a pacifist or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. Let's, let's move on to another question from uh, another one from Jean. So he says, uh, all those spaceships capable of manipulating the fabric of space and time to cross galaxies, avoiding billions of galactic traps just to crash out of sight of anyone. What a feat. Bravo aliens. <laughs> So I think we addressed that one a little bit earlier. It is, I think there is an implausibility to the number of reported crashes, given the technology that you'd need to either cross star systems or dimensions. One thing to be careful of, though, is no people in the UFO community don't seriously think that the craft that people are seeing in the sky actually themselves crossed interstellar space. The not typically anyway, the view is that you would need a much bigger ship. You'd need a mothership 
to cross interstellar space. And so the craft that people actually see in the sky, which are much smaller, are, are, are either craft that were brought along on the mothership or they're even craft that were manufactured here in the solar system. And they're basically short range reconnaissance vehicles. It's like the difference between an aircraft carrier and the aircraft that it carries. Um, what we're seeing is not the aircraft carrier that crossed the Pacific Ocean. We're seeing an airplane that got off that carrier. And so, so uh, these, these ships, presumably, that we're seeing in the sky are not built to cross interstellar space. They're meant to be carried across interstellar space by something bigger. Like X, an X-wing coming off of uh, a the giant. Death Star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this one's from Tobias Ruck, and uh, it's it's on a topic that we've already addressed, so we, we may not have any more additional thoughts on it. What are your thoughts on aliens being demons? UFOs seem to often have spiritual impact. See the UFO deception by Father Spidron Bailey. Uh, yeah, so um, there's not much more to say beyond what we've said earlier in the show, but uh, feel free to, to comment further if you'd like. Otherwise, we can yeah, I, I it's everything has a spiritual impact. And on some people, it's going to be negative. You know, some people eat too much pizza and it harms their health. But that doesn't justify one in saying pizza has a negative spiritual impact. Therefore, it must be demons. Um, so even if some people have been negatively spiritually impacted by an obsession with studying UFOs and getting wrapped up into crazy theories and it led them away from their faith or something. That doesn't mean you can't be a responsible Christian and look into this area. And it doesn't mean it's always demons. You can point to anything that has negative consequences and say this had negative consequences, but that doesn't warrant you yeah. in generalizing it to everybody or in saying it therefore must be demons. So uh, Jean has another comment. He's uh, he sent in several so far. Let me make it a little bit smaller here. Uh, he says, Grush is not a witness. He is just someone who repeats what he's heard from other people who claim to be a witness. This has no value. Evidence has been piling up for a century, and all we have is third degree indirect evidence with uh, source. Trust me, bro. So, yeah, I think that... Um, he he did say that he's seen evidence of videos and photos and classified documents. So it's not just uh, the, the sort of, you know, testimony from, from other people. So, uh, which is interesting, you know, it's, it's similar to someone seeing a resurrected person and then, uh, you know, relaying those, those facts as opposed to hearing it from someone else. And so anyways, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this, Jim? Well, even, even like, how do I know Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, right? Is it like a direct witness? Is it someone who was there? No. <laughs> um, you know, so I mean, I, I think this sort of um, evidence through testimony and indirect testimony, I think that's some, something that a lot of our knowledge depends on. And it's, it's not some special feature of the case that we're discussing now. Um, obviously, maybe you think that it'd be better to have direct testimony, but sometimes indirect testimony is indeed sufficient. Um, and if you don't want to think that, yeah. then I, I think a lot of your knowledge is going to be handicapped. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that the epistemic situation is exactly how it's represented here. He, he does. He's he isn't claiming to be a witness, a firsthand witness of the UFO 
UFOs themselves that the this program has or the alien bodies that it has. But he does say he's seen photos and documents. He is a witness of those. And he's provided those not to us, but to the inspector general. And he's done so under penalty of perjury. And all of that elevates this beyond simply, it doesn't mean he's right, but I think it does elevate it beyond simply someone is repeating this information and it it adds nothing. I think it does add something because he also said he did a four-year vetting process on this material. So that adds additional credibility. I think there are reasons for credibility here, even though he's not an eyewitness just like you can have people in any area, like we have expert testimony in courts from people who were not eyewitnesses to the crime, but have done studies that are relevant. So we'll we'll try to brew, uh, breeze through these quickly. Uh, we've been going for two and a half hours already, so we'll try to get through these uh, these super chats quick. So from Forte, how ironic UFO content on a Christian channel, on a Christianity channel. Yeah, so there's there is a lot of overlap between uh, as I mentioned at the very 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 beginning of the stream. There's a lot of interesting overlap between Christianity and uh, testimony of UFOs and and uh, all of that. It, it deals with uh, you know testimony as evidence. What how do you weigh that and uh, can it be sufficient to believe something? And then there's also questions of what impact does this have on theology, the existence of extraterrestrial life. Does that uh, mean that Christianity is false or does it not have any impact on it? So there's all sorts of interesting overlaps and questions that get raised when you're discussing uh, UFOs and aliens and Christianity. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to to cover it here. But maybe, Jimmy, you could actually bring up, like, why, why do you even do what you do with your uh, your podcast yeah, I, as well. I was, like, was going to say, I, I come from a Christian point of view as well, and I cover aliens and other mysterious subjects all the time because Christians are curious just like anybody else. And so right. if you're interested in having um, some faith-informed analysis that's also critical, you know, as, as I think I've illustrated here in the live stream, I try to think critically about these things. I don't just accept claims and leap to one hypothesis or another, whereas whether it's it must be aliens or it must be demons. I I try to look at things critically from the perspectives of faith and reason. And you can check out Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World in a podcast directory or at mysterious.fm. Right. Yeah. yeah and I was just going to say, like, um, it really can kind of change your view of things. I, if, if you think that God's not just saving Earth, but saving lots and lots of other planets, and that, you know, the, the eschaton, cool. the beatific vision, you know, it's like, are we going to be with all sorts of different creatures, or are we going to have different dimensions for different creatures, or are there going to be different incarnations of the second person of the Trinity that we're seeing, or is it just one, or, you know, how does how does all, all this kind of work out? Are, are, purpose ultimately would be very practical. If, if there are ETI, then, um, you know, we need to be focused on e- evangelization. And so, uh, uh, though, like I said earlier, I, I mean, I would totally expect incarnation stories to be, to be uh, had amongst uh, ETI. Yeah. So Dylan has a, a very related question. Let's get these aliens saved. Hashtag intergalactic missions trip. Uh, would Jesus atoning death cover aliens? So this is something, uh, Tyler, that you and Chad have uh, talked about. So, yeah. So 
Um, you could go a different route. So, I mean, if you want to take like a very generic definition, kind of ambiguous definition of uh, what a human is, maybe you just think it's like a rational animal, right? Uh, well, then maybe you think that God taking on human flesh, uh, you know, becomes human and in doing so uh, is redeeming not only what we would call humans, right? But also all rational creatures, uh, all rational animals across the cosmos. That They're all humans too under this definition of humanity. So maybe Jesus only has to die once. Or maybe you think like what C.S. Lewis uh, seems to allude to in his space trilogy that like, actually humans are the exception. <laughs> We're the ones that suck. <laughs> uh, the other the other alien races, uh, you know, maybe they don't require saving, so to speak. Or maybe God uh, found it fitting to save them in different ways throughout the, without the incarnation or the atonement. Or maybe, as um, uh, St. Thomas uh, argues, you know, multiple incarnations is, is indeed possible. Um, is, Tim Paul's work is really good here um, for those interested. And so maybe it is such that God has incarnations. Maybe he's, he's you know, currently uh, in the process of saving various different civilizations. Um, I think all these are, are kind of um, open. All these are, are different possibilities that we should take seriously. And, uh, you know, none of them entail this idea that, you know, Jesus is hopping off from one planet to another, um, you know, uh, can't, can't be with us right now. So <laughs> he, he's somewhere else in the galaxy that, you know, that, that's what happened. He abandoned us so he could go to save, save a different planet. I mean, you, if you read individuals like Thomas Paine, uh, you know, this is kind of one of his big, big arguments against Christian belief is is uh, uh, this kind of reductio that he tries to pull. Uh, I think there are lots of different options at our disposal. Um, empirically, I don't, I don't think we're going to really get uh, too much uh, certainty on this unless uh, the magisterium speaks or we actually empirically can verify some of these um, accounts. So, Jimmy, I'm sure you've got thoughts, but uh, do you mind if we move on? Not at all. All right. So this one's from Carr Meister. He says, what if UFO UAPs are a UAPs are a government psyop? So we, we talked about that. That was one of the major possibilities that we entertained. So, all cool. right, let's move on to, uh, to Callum S. He says, could testimony convince Jimmy of this? He has argued for the resurrection from testimony after all. And I can kind of give Jimmy's answer. Like he's, he talked about this earlier is that he thinks that testimony in the case of the resurrection uh, passes the, the, the sort of uh, critical thinking test. And so, um, yeah, so basically what he did is he, he uh, looked at different possible explanations of the data and then ruled out the sort of natural explanations. And so has concluded that the, uh, the standard Christian hypothesis that God raised Jesus from the dead is the, uh, the correct one, which is a standard process that you do when you're doing a sort of uh inference to the best explanation, or uh, you can even do that in, in uh, Bayesianism as well. So um, that was, it, it's, it's just basic uh, inductive probabilistic reasoning is the, the yeah. process that was, that was undergone and there. And when it comes to determine whether or not one takes this as serious and as, 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 as in reference to God and uh, the raising of Jesus. And as I stated earlier, I mean, it's, it's ultimately not as, um, you don't, you don't have the multiple individuals dying for something that, you know, it seems like they sincerely believe. You don't have uh, independent sources. Um, you, 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 you don't have some of the stuff we have with the historical Jesus that you can sort of make that, that analog here. So I think that that does do something as well. 
So, Cameron, you've accurately described my re- what my response would be. Do you need a job as a ghostwriter? Um, One thing I would add is uh, that, yes, I could be convinced by testimony. And in fact, should I ever be convinced by test on on this subject that we have a classified UFO crash retrieval program that has retrieved UFOs? It will probably be by testimony because I'm very unlikely to be admitted to a, a facility where they're being held. It will be because of testimony of responsible people at the government declassifying stuff that I can then read. And, and so I would, it would probably be testimony that would be the thing that would convince me rather than personal observation and study of the, of the craft themselves. Right. All right, moving on, we've got uh, three Super Chats left from Grays174. Haven't caught the full stream, but have you guys talked about how this does or doesn't relate to futurist antichrist eschatology stuff? Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. Uh, There are people in the sort of Christian UFO community hybrid area where there are claims that all of this UFO stuff is a set-up false flag operation for the Antichrist. Um, However, this is very hard to square with the biblical evidence regarding the Antichrist and with president evidence as well. It's it's really kind of hyperbolic, uh, sensationalistic, breathless speculation that is not well backed up by evidence. But no, we haven't talked about it. Tyler? (laughs) <laughs> no, no thoughts on this. <laughs> All right. So uh, this one, I think, is a really good observation. USNC4. Uh, I'm not going to try. Uh, the thing that makes me most doubtful is the claim that the governments have kept this quiet for 90 years. Governments aren't that competent. I think that's actually a good point. I, I think there's an I think that it, it has a point. Um, there are those secrets that don't come out. And if you have a really big one and you want to be really careful with it, you know, you could keep it on an extremely limited need to know basis and it might not come out. Um, The flip side of the argument that will be made by various individuals in the UFO community is it has come out. It's come out repeatedly. There have been multiple people in multiple governments, not just here in the United States, who've been saying this stuff. And the press has just not been taking it seriously. So when you have it pop up again with like David Grush and he says, guess what? We've got crashed saucers and and people will say, well, then why has the secret been kept for so long? The answer is it hasn't. Yeah, wasn't there even recently some sort of like Israeli chief that came out, um, some government uh, official from Israel kind of making similar comments? Do do you know about this, Jimmy? There have been several government officials from several governments who have said something. Yeah, I think there was one from from, from Israel that within the last year that, that, that also came out. There's also one from Canada who's been saying the same kind of stuff. All right, last uh, very interesting question from Grays174. Does this mean that the alien did it naturalistic hypothesis for the resurrection doesn't have a prohibitively low prior probability anymore? So this is what I've thought about because I, uh, you know, I try to take every option and every question people can raise seriously. And so I have thought about being aware of UFO claims, including that 
including in UFO involvement in the Bible and the Christian religion, I've actually considered this one. And I would say, yeah, um, if if you're if you believe that extraterrestrials, including extraterrestrials reaching Earth are a real possibility, then you have to consider could extraterrestrial technology or time travel technology or interdimensional technology have been responsible for the resurrection of Jesus. And um, so you have to consider that possibility if you think time travel or interdimensional travel or interstellar travel is possible. But um, that doesn't mean it's likely. And one of the guiding principles that I use is every phenomenon needs to be taken, at, interpreted at face value until you get evidence to the contrary. So, you know, if I wake up in the morning and the woman laying in bed next to me is my, it looks like my wife, I'm going to assume it's my wife. I'm going to take the phenomenon at face value until such time as I get evidence that my wife has an evil twin that I didn't know about who has secretly kidnapped my wife and tied her up in the closet and replaced her. You know, I'm going to go with the it's my wife hypothesis, just like it looks until I get evidence for the evil twin hypothesis. Well, in the same way, uh, if we look at the resurrection of Jesus, how did Jesus and the people around him interpret the event? They interpreted it not as an act of extraterrestrials, not as an act of interdimensionals, physical beings, not as an act of time travelers, not as a technological act but as a supernatural act performed by God. And if those who are most involved with the experience, including the man himself who was in the experience at the heart of it, the one who came back from the dead, if he had before the resurrection said, guess what? I'm part of God's plan. I'm going to die, be crucified and raised. And then he dies and crucified is crucified and is raised. I'm going to take his word for how that happened in the absence of competing evidence. So you can raise possibilities like maybe aliens did it or time travelers did it or interdimensionals did it, but you don't have any evidence. That's just speculation. The evidence we have comes from Jesus and the people he taught saying this was an act of God, not an act of aliens or an act of time travelers. And if you think that the, if you follow Richard Swinburne uh, and how he sort of argues the, what the priors are, that, that God exists and that he has a vested interest in making himself known and that he would make himself known for all these various reasons and that maybe there's even uh, some likelihood that, you know, he'd want to become man and, and suffer with us in great extraordinary ways and et cetera. I mean, if, if, if the priors really might be what may rule out this hypothesis or what show that this hypothesis uh, to be plausible. So for example, if you don't believe that God exists, if you think it's like, you know, zero or point zero 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 one, um, then maybe this hypothesis is going to do something for you. Um, but at the same time, we need to be careful, right? Not to do God of the gaps, but and, and here not to do alien of the gaps, right? This is kind of like when, when Richard Dawkins once uh, suggested that maybe Aliens were the ones who started life on Earth because it's such a, a, a hard thing to figure out how this happened. Um, and it's similar here. Uh, look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Ah, oh, that's really hard to explain. Aliens did it. You know, that, that, that's the explanation here. So there is a worry here that uh, just as, as atheists are oftentimes concerned if Christians are doing God of the gaps, 
that um, atheist ETI believers might be doing the, 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 uh, the same sort of move here, except with aliens. Yeah, or I would demons. also like to hear demons of the gap, too. We don't That's know right. what UFOs are. They must be demons. That's right. I think uh, it was good that you brought up Swinburne, Tyler, because one of the things that he does is he argues that God has reason to become incarnate and to atone for our sins. And so what that does is it raises the prior probability of the resurrection hypothesis. Now, what I would be interested to hear is what reasons might be given for some alien civilization to try and raise Jesus from the dead. Like to me, um, that would be very difficult to, to do from, from just the existence of a perfect being. That's what, that's what uh, Swinburne attempts to do from looking at like, you know, what is a valuable thing to do from his perspective uh, having created. So there's, there's very, there's a very logical pathway from God's existence to he'd have reason to become incarnate if he created us in this way. And so, but then there doesn't seem to be a sort of natural connection between uh, the, you know, the, the reason that, that an alien might have to raise Jesus and the aliens existence, there doesn't seem to be a really direct connection there. So what you would end up facing is a sort of probabilistic tension between the proposition that aliens exist and the proposition that this particular alien civilization has good reason to rise Jesus from the dead. Those are going to be very improbable with respect to each other. Whereas it's not so improbable that God would have this reason if God exists. So I think that's in my mind, I haven't really done a whole lot of thinking on this. That would probably be the, the first place that I would go is what are those reasons? How likely would it be that that alien civilization would have those reasons? And then you can start to look at like and play with some of the the probabilities involved there. But I think that you're going to be very, very hard pressed to make that logical connection. One of the things, so there's also a statistical counter argument. I mean, lots of human beings die and the aliens don't raise them. So why would they raise Jesus? Now, you can pose the same question for why would God raise Jesus, whereas God doesn't raise a lot of other human beings. Maybe he does some, but not a lot. Why would he do Jesus? Well, because Jesus is his son and his agent in bringing his will to earth. And you could, from a from a ufology, this is not mainstream ufology, but there are UFO religions. And from a UFO religion perspective, you could say, well, um, aliens did raise Jesus because he was one of them and he's their agent to spread knowledge of our space brothers on earth and and good living moral principles. So that's why they would raise Jesus from the dead, but not somebody else. But then you hit a problem with why doesn't Jesus preach about the space brothers? Because he doesn't. You know, we don't have any evidence. He's not. He's never talking about people on other planets. That just never happens. And um, why would they go through this rigmarole of letting him die and then genuinely die and then reanimating his body? They could impress humans through many other means um, because the reason God has, uses these means is because he's redeeming us from our sins as a sacrifice. And it's not just to convince us there's Jesus is actually doing work on the cross. He's saving us from our sins 
by offering himself as a as a living sacrifice of love to the father and so there's a reason for the resurrection for the crucifixion and the resurrection on the christian account but if you just have a space brother down on earth and you want him to preach about galactic harmony he should a preach about galactic harmony and b he might use technology to dazzle people but he doesn't need to go to the cross so it looks more like the UFO religion account of this is being retrofitted to explain the data rather than something you would naturally expect to fall out of it. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, something else I was thinking about was the, the religio historical context. Jesus was a Jew like that's mm-hmm. that's important when you're evaluating these these different hypotheses, something like um for example, the the twin hypothesis that Jesus had a twin that doesn't run into these same sorts of issues because you could just say that these two individuals were were both Jews and they both believed in God and so they could come up with some I don't know it it, it makes more sense to me that given the the particular place in time that this occurred the uh, existing beliefs that were around during the time the things that Jesus. Uh, allegedly said that were reported in the gospels and everything. Um, it, it makes way more sense that this is uh, a, a sort of straightforward explanation is going to explain the data a lot better than something that's very extravagant. And no, no need to add more to the high just, it's just Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's leave that one there. The really interesting stuff. Uh, thanks for your super chat. Thanks for everyone's super chat that, that sent one in today. Uh, we've had, at one point, I think we had a uh, close to 800 people watching, which, well, is, more uh, than which is really, really cool. Yeah, more than that's, uh, yeah. that's amazing. So uh, thank you guys for, for tuning in. We'll get to one last question, then we'll close out the stream. Uh, it's not a question. Uh, it's one from uh, from Trinity Radio. Jimmy, just tell us what Italian UFO is at the Vatican in the same room as the Ark of the Covenant and the Cup of Christ. Isn't that so? I've seen interesting photographs and read interesting documents, but if I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> there it is there it is yeah yeah well uh no this was this was a lot of fun and i want to hear um sorry i'm trying to get this off the screen there there it goes so uh, i i want to hear your thoughts on this i mean one of the super chats that was sent in one of the first ones was it's kind of weird right why why is it a christian apologetics channel talking about this so i want to hear what your thoughts are on this subject in the comments like if you'd like to see more discussion on aliens etis ufos uaps all the 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 interesting uh this topic the the um the crossover that's happening between ufology and philosophy and philosophy of religion like if you're interested in that and it seems really interesting and you've enjoyed this show and you'd like us to cover more you know uh events that happen and and uh people that are coming out talking about the, like, if you'd like to see more of this, just let me know, let me know in the comments. We'll make it happen. I'm really, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm like personally someone who's been invested in, in UFOs or anything like that. But, um, recently for some reason, I just started to, to gain an interest in it. And so I, uh, I, I text Jimmy the other day about it. And then I found out about this, uh, interview that was, that was coming out. So, um, I mean, I, I'd like to, to do more of this content as well. So uh, there's there's all sorts of reasons that we should do more of this. But let me know in the comments. That's the whole point of what I just said is let me know what you think in the comments. What did you guys think of the, the show and the, and the episode? 
Is that a question for us, or are you asking? Yeah, that was a question. Why? That was a question oh. for you. Sorry. Yeah, for you guys. <laughs> I thought, I thought what did you, you think? Talking to the listeners. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, what did what did you what did y'all think of the of the show today? And I had a lot of fun. I thought we covered a lot of good stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. Me too. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll all right. be interested to see all the comments that people have afterwards. Yeah, for real. Well, thank you guys for uh, for joining me today. It's been awesome. Live long and prosper. Thanks, no. Thank you so much, Cam. And uh, kapla, since you are <laughs> greeting, I can too. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next Capturing Christianity video, as usual, very soon. See you guys later.